All right, so grateful for Ian Blink McDonald traveling all the way down from Scotland for the podcast. We're talking 12 years in 18 different prisons, not just prison stories though, we're talking knife fighting, bombs, gun crime, and a bank robbery for six million pounds, which was almost $10 million back then that went wrong. Now, in my podcast, I like to get straight into some of the most gripping stories. So with Ian here today, how did this um, bank robbery come about? Well, it came about, I was 30 years of age at the time, uh, Sean, and uh, I'd had a pub in Glasgow, and uh, I'd had a kid at two years of age. Things were, things were doing well, but I wasn't in the major league of criminality. I'd only done 18 months up to the age of 30 and a, a friend of mine who was on the run for HMP Scott, HMP shots in uh, Scotland mm-hmm. he went out in a butcher's van and he was on the run for three years and he just appeared and uh, and he says to me he had this bank job down in Torquay down in uh, Devon in England mm-hmm. and uh, there was possibly six million pounds there it was a Nat West, Nat West bank on the Strand in Torquay and he says would you like to be in the team? And I, I was virtually saying yes, and then he says to me, well, look, there's still a bit of research and things to be done, and uh, he says, I'll give you a couple of months to think about it. This was around about March uh, 1991, and uh, Mick, Mick name is, he returned back at the end of April, and he says everything's ready to go in May. He says... Uh, I says, not, not a problem, I'm a man. I always wanted to be a millionaire for 30, <laughs> and this was my big chance. So there was no hesitation in me agreeing to do this job. Because you'd previously done some robberies. One of the things I read in your book, yeah. Blink, um, there was like a £300,000 one. I think yeah. your cut was like 70000 yeah. So you, you you know you knew the routine yeah, and you were confident about and, this? Yeah, I'd done post offices and banks and... Jewelry shops. shops when I was younger. I'd graduated all the way through for jewelries to to taking boxes off of security guards and uh, post offices, banks. And uh, as you say, £75,000 was one of the cuts. Yeah. And uh, so it was it was things like that. It wasn't the hundreds of thousands I was getting. So yeah. I always wanted, I had this dream of being a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Mick, Mick turns, Mick, Mick thing me turns back up. And uh, gave me a couple of days' notice, and he says, We're ready to go in May. And uh, there was six sixes for Glasgow, and me and Mick's brother, our job was to take the guns, handcuffs, and things down with two hold dolls. What guns were you using? We were using a pump action shotgun, okay. and uh, we were using a pistol, yeah. so we were a revolver. So we had in the, these in the two hold dolls, so we decided we would travel down by train. Mm-hmm. It would be less a chance getting caught in. Uh, driving down and Mick and the other boys they were already down there and uh, so we, we travelled we got a taxi and we were going through this park to get we decided not to go to Glasgow Central Station because there were too many police and all the rest of it. so we went to this park this Motherwell train station we got on there but before we got there we were nearly caught uh-huh. before the job even started we were driving through this park in uh, Strathclyde Park the taxi in the next minute a motor outrider, a copper, came up 
and he waved us down and I says to my pal, I says, for fuck's sake, I says, we're done already and we've not even scouted in Glasgow. But the guy just went like that, slow down, you're going too fast. Wow. And the taxi. So the church kind of waved for Brown and went, fuck. So maybe that was a good sign. <laughs> so, uh, but we got to the station and uh, we got from Motherwell to London and we walked about these bags and there was armed coppers and all that and we'd walk by them and uh, and I think we went to Exeter or somewhere and we got off the train there and Mick and one of the other boys came and met us in the cars mm -hmm. he says right we've set up a base in Torquay uh, for viewers don't know where it is Torquay's in Devon and there's a place called uh, Painting in Brixham Brixham's a fishing village so it's Torquay Painting and Brixham so we were based in Painting and uh, Mick had already hired two caravans. So what happened then was my 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 friend, my missus at the time came down. She came down a few days later uh, with my boy. Did she know two. what was going on? She didn't at the beginning. Okay. I just told her to come down for a holiday. And at the same time, Mick Keeley, as I told you, he was on the run for three years. Mick says he, he'd, uh, he'd been in London and he'd met this girl. Natalie Baby from Montpelier mm -hmm. and uh, and he says look I'm going to phone this girl and ask her does she want to come for a holiday I says for fuck's sake Mick I says so he phoned uh, Natalie up and uh, and she says can I bring my sister Sandrine so the two of them came so we were in this holiday caravan park just kind of about normal business but we were running across running across the, the bank and uh it was three stories high, and it was on. It was just. It was just near the marina. It was on the strand, and but while while we were doing this, we said, "Well, we'll take our time, uh, a week to ten days." So so while we were doing this, I, I even went to the zoo with my son and all of that while we were on the doing that. But mostly we were planning, right? How we're we going to get in here? And at the time, there wasn't a lot of alarms in banks. The, the alarms were just on the the vault, so. My plan was to break in to the place, and uh, and that, that's what happens. Uh, after about ten days, we says right, we'll go. But two days before it, two of my co-accused, uh, Robert Harper and Thomas Carrigan, we, we'd been in a car, and one is stupidly threw a crisp packet or something out of the car, and uh, the police stopped us and they asked us our names. I gave my brother Gary's name, so when we get back to the caravan and uh, Thomas and uh, Robert. He says, look, we've got a bad feeling about this. We've already been stopped. It was two days to go to the bank. He says, we, we're going to go. And we says, fuck it. So, so they too, Thomas stayed up in uh, Norwich at the time. And uh, but they, they, they went up and done their, they went up and done their own thing, which I'll explain later. So someone threw a crisp packet. Let me just explain that for the American yeah. viewers then. Potato chips. Yeah. Someone threw a packet of potato yeah. chips while out of the we car. And the police, the police stopped, stopped you because of that bag. Yeah, yeah. And that spooked some of your guys. That spooked some of them, yeah. Wow. I like how you've got the camouflage though of the tourist stuff going down with the family members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, now you've got. But see, when the French girls came down as well, it was, it was, it was so unreal because <laughs> they, they're thinking they're doing for a holiday. Yeah. Because Mick's not told them. Yeah. And uh, and the, her and her sisters based herself in the caravan with Michael and James. Because you can't tell them because they become conspirators. No, no, then, don't we couldn't we? tell them. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Sheila ended up finding it. Know what I mean, right? Because my plan, Sean, if I was getting away with the robbery, uh, Sheila can speak Iranian. She used to be married to an Iranian. Yeah. And uh, her plan was to get into London, and she was going to open up a safety deposit, put yeah. the money, go back to Glasgow. Right. But my original plan, as I says, I wanted to be a millionaire, and uh, and I was going to go to Spain and open up my nightclub. Yeah. So get, getting back to the bank, so we decided. Going to break in, yeah. So, so have you got all your men, or have you lost them, or have you uh, replaced no, them? No, there's there's four. No, we never replaced You're down them. To four. We, yeah, and we, cha- down to four. we changed. We, we changed the plan. So yeah. we did, and uh, so we're, so we're down to four, and they tour away, and uh, so we, so we broke into the bank. When you say broke in, what do you mean? There was a back door. There was a back door in the bank. Yeah, and we drilled it. And we get in through it. there. There was no alarm on that. There was no alarms in the floor of the bank. It was 1991. Right. And there was just a, as I say, a, at the back of this bank. It was a huge bank. It was a holding bank for uh, the whole of Devon yeah. in Cornwall. And uh, Mick had done his homework and we reckoned there was £6 million there in the vault. And our, our idea was to tie them up and that. So yeah. the bank was broke into and there was a construction. Uh, there was a hole constructed uh, just below a staircase and that faced onto the 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 vault and the plan was and it was a hidey hole so it was Sean mm-hmm. and uh, to, 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 to tell your viewers the picture as well I was in the bank the first night when we broke in and uh, when my pal came to see me up at the pub he says listen Ian he says I know your game to, to get into the bank and blah 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 you've done all this before he says but listen see if you agree because he was struggling to get people to do this he says see if you agree he says you can be the driver you can mm. sit outside he says because I know you won't find me drive away and I went fuck say it I says I'm not going to get into the bank so that that made it the, the answer for me when even say the answer was always going to be yes but when, when Michael says that and I says fuck it's a definite <laughs> yes so I went into the bank the first night and there was three three levels and uh, and up the stairs there was pool tables mm. and the boys were playing games of pool and that. But they constructed the hidey hole at this staircase and the freedom could fit in. And uh, I, I went back to the caravan, showing about three, and uh, I was sitting watching the Sweeney. She was sleeping and... Have to get back at eight, the back of eight, and sit outside at a designated place, and wait, waiting them coming out with them. I thought, well, I thought going to do this robbery, it's a goer, because if you think you're not going to get the money, well, uh, so you say, going. I just thought, hundred percent, I'm going to be a millionaire, and that's it. That this this is my big opportunity. So so what happens? Briefly, what happened in the bank? Uh, Mickey and that they had a wee spy hole and they could see right into the vault. So the staff came in and they opened the vault. And as soon as they opened the vault, a couple of people went into the vault and they came up with a trolley. So they thought, right, jackpot, bust it. So they bust it, rounded everybody up. But one of the boys have ran into the, the vault and there was a treasury grill gate, it's called where the money was yeah. and that was locked they, they just like brought out the credit cards and things like that Sean and uh, so everybody was rounded up there was about 14 to 16 people rounded up in the bank and they were all lying in a group and they were getting shouted at 
where's the fucking key? And the, the bank manager, I think his name was Brian Thomas. This was, this is 27 year I'm going back. And I'm sure his name was Brian Thomas. He was trying to say, look, cool down, cool down. I'll get the, the person has got the key. Roy, the chief cashier, is late for work. And uh, and see when it transpired, Sean, when we went to the Old Bailey and all that, I was playing later. <laughs> Sean, uh, Roy, the chief cashier, was asked, how many times you've been, how long have you worked in the bank? This is some seven or eight years. Says that was the first time I was late. Oh. So it was just, it was just, it just wasn't meant to be. So, so, so they're, they're busy finding me, and the guy was trying to say, and, and, and see, because they were Glasgow accents, I told Sean before I started the program that when I was in prison, I, I used to speak in my Glaswegian, and then after two years, nobody could understand me. So, all the English prisoners, they used to just nod, and uh, so I'm going to speak polite today, and so the viewers can kind of understand me because if I was to speak my, my native yeah. Glaswegian, nobody'd understand. I had a guy on from Manchester recently, and he said, Grass, and all the Americans <laughs> thought that was marijuana, but grass, grass in the English prison system is snitch. That's right. So, yeah. So, you've got a, so that that's how when you told me it's kind of going to go to America and things like that, well, I say it's right, polite. So, anyway, getting back to the bank. Uh, Mick just went Mick just had enough and in transcripts they were saying because of her Glaswegian accent that's how I mentioned this yeah uh, Michael says uh, committing the, the depositions so, some of the witnesses the bank staff thought were Jamaicans or Italians because right. <laughs> of the thing with the accents but uh, Mick, Mick uh, ended up grabbing the, the manager took him straight in put the shotgun to his head says look no fucking about here get that fucking opened and the guy was still trying to say look the guy's late for work it's got the key and uh, but he wasn't having any of it then Mick discharged a firearm into the ceiling yeah and popular to belief in the press in Scotland when there's anything mentioned about this because there's been loads of things mentioned about the, this mm. this bank robbery and for careers after that that uh, there was a girl shot in the head but uh, I would like to put it right just now there was there was the girl wasn't shot in the head the, the shotgun was fired into the ceiling and a bit of plaster came down and uh, that hurt on the head and uh, and I was asked many years later for somebody for the Torquay Herald phone call but uh, to assure remorse and all that for this girl and, that, and I said yeah because she'd give a victim an impact statement so so that's what happened and Mick and the other two guys just decided well it's time to go because they thought they were playing see when they were sitting in the group they thought they were playing past the parcel thing me because he's gone who's it he's got it he's got it yeah. so they were just fucking about and we were there for high stakes we weren't into the Rob Woolworths which is a sweet shop in Glasgow <laughs> and, and thing me Britain we were here for high stakes yeah 1.5 and, million uh, now yeah and uh, when they came running out and all that I could see there was no bags because they took bags and all that in with them and I just put my head down and I said something's went drastically wrong here so if we get back to the caravan site and uh little, little did we realise one of the the, the the get the the thing the changeover cars there was this painter and decorator and uh, cause Torquay's a it's it's a snobby place, it's a well to do place and people are noticing people 
things. So this this painter and decorator had took the number down of this car, and because uh, we'd already had another car with a BMW that was stolen, and uh, the other car was hired, and I think they make quite a. I think they a false driving license so that was took in and it was thing with the caravan site so I've got you back to the caravan site and uh, Sheila says to me where's the money I says <laughs> I says to, I says everything's went topsy-turvy uh, no go and she went fuck's sake use her hopeless shoes look so I was gutted Sean I was I was really really really, really gutted I just thought a million percent that this was my big chance and uh so I says to Sheila quite calmly I says make a breakfast and she says make a breakfast she says this is serious shit but see because we never get the money Sean there was something in my head that was kind of a saying oh we never got the money it's easy ozy but little do there's a gun fired we've, we've travelled down for Glasgow but we've has travelled to the other side of England it's a long way to go and, uh, and it was all planned so whether we get that money or didn't get the money, this was a serious offence. Yeah, they're going to come after you fast. Yeah, so, but I'm, I'm sitting lazing about and the two French girls and Mick Keeley's get back to the caravan and he says, look, he says, I've left two bags of excess stuff. Uh, I says, we, me and James, he says, well, I thought you'd get rid of that. He says, I did. He says, look, I need to get these French girls out of here. They're wondering what's going on. I've says to them, look, they need to go home. He says, so I'm going to take them to the thing there. Uh, the bus of the train station and blah blah could you just take these two bags so me and James went oh fuck right okay then so we went up to the, their caravan and uh, me and James these two bags it was two big hold dogs and seeing this uh, it was it was a caravan I think it was called Cock Fosters in paint it was a huge caravan part there's three big giant ponds so me and James says right we'll just get into one of these ponds and uh, we'll get rid of the excess stuff then we'll get to fuck so we could, me and James got the bags says to she'll be back in half an hour she says look we'll need to go <laughs> so uh, so we, we, we took these two bags and see while we were walking down to the ponds James James turned around a couple of times and he says to me he says we're getting followed and I went oh, don't talk about the rubbish and uh, and he was right somebody was following us do, do you know what happened Sean the, the, the police right they were very quick in tracing us down because of this car two police but, but the police were going to our Turkey but it was two, two police themselves it's came to the thing when they've went into the reception and they've says uh, is there any dodgy people and there's a team here for Glasgow and they're going to look dodgy and the caravans are there and so they took up position in this caravan next to where the Healy's caravan was and I think they were only in there half an hour, 40 minutes when we, we went away with the bags. And uh, they went on the radio. And because it was in a hilly area, the, the radios weren't really working. Remember, it's a way back 91 when te- technology wasn't really that good. So one of them decided to try and get help, and the other one followed us. And James had noticed them. So we got to the pond, Sean, opened the bags, started throwing items in. The next one, I get the shock of my life. This guy, he was about six feet four, he was wearing a leather jacket and uh, he shouted, damn please, damn please. And he, he was either a 45 or a Magnum. And I just shut myself, I went, fuck's it. Then I went, I can't believe this. If we don't get the money, fucking, uh, I'm going to be arrested. And 
hundreds of things and, and I says to James I says look don't, don't mess about here I says uh, I says he'll shoot us so we complied with his order and the two is lay down but he never put my cuff on right mm. so and he was a big guy right and it, it's this jacket and that so oh he done with these two bags he's putting them on one shoulder he's gone he says right two he's got up cuffed he says walk to the caravan you have just came from and so me and James are walking up going fucking hell that Mick fucking idiot they seem to not get rid of their bags and blah 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 and we've gone how the fuck have they, they got onto us so quick so we were expecting them to take us up to the Healy's caravan and just before that he went no stop here and he says to us open that door the caravan they, they were surveillancing us from so he made he made he made a he made a, a a major blunder, so he did, this police officer. He says, right, the caravan, he says, right, get in the caravan, and he's coming in, and he's saying to us, right, shut the curtains, or in. But instead of just sitting there in, uh, with a gun, he decided to stand outside, but he had the door opened, and Sean, I've had caravans. At the time, I had a caravan up Manstrother, up my lovely part of Scotland, up in Fife. So uh, I've always been a caravan person and that. So I know caravans and uh, when he says shut the curtains, I was amazed when outside. So me and James are sitting and next minute my cuffs came off. And I went, and he went, what are you doing with that? He says, we're caught anywhere. I went, I'm not sitting here getting fucking 18 years. And uh, so we were, we were peeping out the curtain and there was about three people approached this police officer and he was standing like that, with his back turned to, to us. And there was people saying, can buy and saying who are you and he's going get away get away I'm a police officer and all of that but he didn't look like a police officer <laughs> right and he, he, was, he had his gun fingered uh, and, and his jacket and I'm going to and I'm saying the police are going to arrive here quickly and I says to James right I says listen I says see the next person that comes and asks, asks him anything and he turns his head a slight second I says I'm going right along the living room in the hall and out that back window and James says you'll get shot I says I don't give a fuck I says I'm not doing 18 years because up to the age of 30 I'd only done 18 months I know I'm laughing about this dude, but it wasn't a laughing matter and uh, so that that's what happened Sean uh, James went like that he says right somebody else is talking he's turned his head and I must have been like Alan Wells. He was a, a top Olympic sprinter for Scotland. <laughs> uh, he won a gold medal a way back. It's me giving my countryman another way G. <laughs> and uh, so I got out the windy but See, James James told me months later when I was caught, he says, Ian, he says, when you were going out that windy, the whole caravan was shaking. He says, his back still, he says, the police officer's back, he was still talking to this nosy person. He says, and uh, he says, if he'd have turned around for one second, he'd have saw the caravan shit. So I'm away, and I ran up to our caravan, and Sheila's there. And she says, what's happened, what's happened? And I says, what's happened? I says, me and James have just been arrested around police. I says, I've not got any time to talk about this. I says, but listen, I need to go. And I was wearing a tracksuit jacket at the time, and I just threw the tracksuit jacket on. And we had train tickets to go to London for the plan was to grin with the money. And she started crying and all of that. And as I say, my son Daryl was too. So I says to her, listen, I says, uh, I need to go. And she says, where? I says, look, so I threw another jacket on. So I ran down to the front. I didn't know where to go. I ran through these fields and I ran down to the front of painting at the beach. And I'm standing there. 
and I realised I'd no money. I had a pound on me and this, and I'm going, how am I going to get through Torquay back to Glasgow? And uh, and I'm going, I'm starting with a pound, saying I should have had a million pounds. So the next one I was thinking, I says, right, I need to, I need to get away, and I, I spotted this railway line, and uh, I crawled along a ra- railway line, and I got to this this, this other place in the uh, Torquay uh, called Brixham. It's a fishing village. There's a marina, so there's woods in that there. So I kind of I had there. There was a helicopter up by this time. So Sheila was telling me three me years later that she she just got to fuck as well after I went a couple of minutes. She darrow in the pram. And she saw James Healy actually in a police car. So I was minutes away from being arrested. She says the whole place just swarmed the police, wow. helicopters, fucking cars, and and uh, and, I, and I, so I'm in Brixham and I, I went on the phone. I sneaked out to the phone, it's a phone box, and I phoned a couple of good friends in uh, Glasgow. And he says, right, he says, can you hold on to twelve o'clock at night? Somebody will get somebody to come to London. I says, not a problem. Uh, this was what this was only lunchtime so I, I merely just hid in these woods and just walking about and uh, somebody turned up at 12 o'clock the guy, the guy was sweating because <laughs> no wonder because see if this guy see if I'd, see if he'd even stopped there could have still been a cordon for, for us but if he'd even stopped this guy would have been roped into this conspiracy yeah so it all went Pete Tong and uh, you got a loyal friend there back you yeah up in the... yeah it was the, the guy was the the guy stayed in Kensington and uh, and we went back to his house can I tell you this story we went back to his house yeah, yeah and uh, and uh, I'm talking to him on the way back and he's asking I told him just all went wrong I says guy shouting the guy with the key and we didn't believe him and he says fucking hell he says I says, well, I'm caught anyway. I says, because my prints will be in that caravan, mm. at least, and there, there's probably other evidence. But I was thinking I'm going to be caught anyway. So he says, like, no problem. So we get back to his house uh, four o'clock in the morning or something, and we're smoking joints. That's a nice part of London, Kensington. Kensington's lovely, aye. Yeah. I've been yeah. in Kensington Roof Gardens before since yeah. I've been released. <laughs> uh, that, that was very nice. Pink flamingos and all that. Yeah. So. Get back to Kensington and I was saying to him on the way down, how long have you been there? Says 18 months. But my pal was up to no good. I think he was dealing in drugs with the Turks. And uh Did you know that when you were staying there? No. No, no, no. I, I knew he was up to something, but it was after it he kind of told me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh so when we got to the house, smoked a couple of joints, says Ian, look, your bedroom's up the stairs. And he says, Oh, by the way, he says my wife's seven months pregnant. I hadn't even met, met, met his wife. So, Sean, I, I thought, all I heard was thing with a racket in the house, and I kind of woke up. It was about seven in the morning. And I, oh, I think I was only sleeping an hour or two. So, this is the next day. This, this is this is the next day. This yeah. is the next morning, and uh, and there was people shaking me, and I went to myself. He's went and got a couple of his friends. Noise me up, right? Police and the one they were shouting, police and all that. I know it's hard to believe, but this this definitely happened. And uh, and they were going, "Who are you?" And all that. And and I was saying, "So, so it's my pal." Says my name. So you think you busted? No, but my pal played it cl- cleverly. So okay. he did. So I says, "My name's Gary 
Gary McDonald. Gary's been in trouble. We'll get into that later. That's brother. It's my brother Gary. He's a year younger. So I knew his date of birth and all that. And just as well, I had this cuff off and I wasn't left with a cuff on. So I'm seeing Gary McDonald in there. They're like, ah, what are you doing down here? And I says, well, I'm down here staying with Fingway William. I'm looking for a, a work. I know him for up in Glasgow for school. He'd been down in London for years. I said, he's put me up for a few days. But I was thinking, what's he saying down there? But he played it cleverly because they, they put his door in, Sean. Uh, they, they were like, and they found I was up there. They went, Who's your pal? And I went, Fucking ask him yourself. It says, Because uh, kick my door in and that. Because he only found a wee bit of hash in his house. Yeah. So they're saying to me, Right, so Gary, have you any convictions of that? And I went, I don't really like talking about it. I says, When I was 18, I got Boston. And uh, when I was 19, I says, I got eight years, I slashed a guy's throat. Which was true. This is what Gary done, and the the police went like that. They went, "Oh, typical Gorbos, eh?" They think the Gorbos in Glasgow. It was years ago with Jimmy Boyle and all that. It was a hard, hard place. So people in England, you always refer to Gorbos as no mean city. Yeah, I read Jimmy Boyle's book. If anyone's yeah. out there likes prison stories, yeah. What, do, you, do you remember the name of his book? Uh, Sense of Freedom. Sense of Freedom. Check it out. It's on Amazon. Yeah, get it in nineteen eighty four, and it was, it was kind of a an icon. It's done. He was accused of three murders, and uh, he, he and he was in prison, and he was he was getting a hell of a tankings after prison officers, but he took one of their eyes out and all that. But he, they made this special unit especially for him in Berlin, and when he first walked into the the the, the unit, I read his book. He says, "See, there's a pair of scissors," and he went, but he became a sculptor, and he married a girl called I think her name was Trevelyan her dad was a film censor so he got released I think he'd had about 14, 15 years and he got released and he came out and France love him he's fingered in France and uh, the, the guy's doing fantastic for his cell now he lives in Morocco and all that he yeah. used to stay in France so he was, he's a big name up it's in Scotland away from cutting the guy's eye out aye he took the guy's eye out that, that was a that was a prison officer a prison officer aye up wow. Inverness straight shank and, uh, and they nearly killed Jimmy Boy on a few, few, few occasions and uh, but getting off that we're talking about in London this arrest yeah, so, I'm, London. So, so I heard so they've left me in the room and I heard the, the police outside the door going they've done a they've done a, a check on me and uh, and I heard them saying well we didn't expect to see him and uh, and he has to, he has been honest to him as he's done eight years and finally <laughs> boss to and all that and I could hear them t- and I heard them one go I'll just leave him and they came in and they went uh, sorry for disturbing <sighs> you uh, Mr McDonald they says we were arresting your pal and I went a bit further went no I was so little did I know it came out later Sean that my pal was dealing with the Turks for drugs and his house just got raided but so that was another thing that the banks went thing with then I can see this, this is a movie the next day. you're on the run no it's, you're it's, it's crazy yeah, so, yeah. So, so what happened when the police all went away I walked down the stairs in the next minute I hadn't even met his wife and she walked down and she says you must be here and I says yes and I says, what happened there? She says, look, they've took him away. She says, but uh, anyway, she says, what, what, what are you going to do? I says, can I use your phone? At that time, it was house phones and that. There was no mobiles and that, unless you had a big brick as a car dealer. And uh, 
I says, can you use your phone? Because I knew Sheila had made her way down to thing me, Elephant Castle. That was the original plan. We we're going to make our way down to Gary's. So your missus is in London as so well. So she's in London. Yeah. So I phoned and uh, I phoned up Rod and uh, Gary. Gary told me, says, look, here's a number. They're in the high flats in Elephant Castle. And uh, so I phoned Sheila. She says, you okay? I went, fuck, you never believe what happened. I says, but I'll tell you later. She says, right, here's the address, Elephant Castle. Uh, one of Gary's relatives is going to pick you up. Uh, there's a place called Charlie Chaplin's. When you come off the underground, there was a pub called Charlie Chaplin's. And the reason I'm saying that as well, because when I was in prison uh, in England doing the sentence for the bank robbery, there was a guy from South London, Desi Cunningham was a cracking guy and uh, he's dead now unfortunately but he was a good guy he learnt me to cook and all that and I was saying to him I was saying Charlie he says yeah that was my local and all that Charlie Chaplin's mm -hmm. so anyway that girl actually went like me that's £100 and uh, and she walked me to the subway station so I met the thing this guy the relative Gary's Charlie Chaplin's up the flat and he says listen Ian he says you can stay here for a week or whatever and I says, no, I says, I need to get straight up the road. I says, I've got unfinished business. At that time, Sean, I was 30, and I don't I don't mind admitting it. I was a bit crazy. I was involved in shootings and stabbings, slashings, a whole lot, and uh, robberies and everything. And uh, many years later in prison, my mum says to me, listen, I'm glad you're in here. And I says, that's a funny thing to say, how are you saying that? She says, no, because when you were fair, she says, you were either going to kill somebody or somebody would have killed you. So I'm back to myself and I kind of scratched my head then. I says, well, she's right. So me and Sheila get the train. We decided to get the train back to Glasgow. And uh, it was one of the saddest journeys for me because I knew I was next. I knew I was going to get the jail. It was in the in the I was going to get the jail at some time. So... We decided, I phoned a couple of other pals, pal Harry, who's always been a good pal of mine for years, and uh, they met us at Motherwell. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I met them, I took us back through the house, through in Hamilton or somewhere, and they gave me a gun, gave me a thing, a revolver, with six dum dum bullets for maximum damage. And at that point, I had a lot of enemies in Glasgow. And I says, fuck it, I'm going to run for the bank. I see anybody in the street I don't like, I'm just going to shoot them. So this never happened. So we're coming to five weeks. I'm only running for five weeks. This was June 91. And uh, I'm running about, running about with a gun. Are you staying in different locations? Yeah, now? yeah, I'm staying in different locations and that. And, uh, and I hadn't met Sheila for five weeks. Mm. And uh, so she was doing staying in my mum's. And the police had raided my mum's house a couple of days before it. And I've got another younger brother, Alan, but it wasn't for the it wasn't for this robbery. Cause my pals were saying, How have they not come up here like a tornado and just crashed your door in? And and the, my mother pal was a wee bit sensible. We went, Well, maybe they're just they're just watching and waiting and and so and that's what they were doing. But the the drug squad went into my mother's house three days before it. And my mom saw them temper, tampering about with the phone. Mm. So they bugged the phone. So I hadn't been in touch with Sheila. And uh, so we arranged to meet in this Chinese restaurant in Glasgow. And uh, and the police must have known that they, they, they've heard this. How are you feeling at this point? Are you like paranoid as fuck? Oh, I'm paranoid. I'm right out my nut. I, I'm paranoid as fuck. Just with the police catching me or 
I was, I was just, I was just. I was you just sleeping like, next to your gun? Ah, the, the you gun, the gun, no, the gun was on me all the time, and, yeah. I was, and at that time there was shell suits on tracksuits, and I was running with this tracksuit, and the gun was just in my pocket. Yeah, and I had it five weeks, and uh, there was a uh, another occasion, three weeks when I was on the run. So seen Sheila, but. I don't like to admit this, but I'll admit it. I've been seeing another girl and we went into this club in the West End of Glasgow. It used to be called Cleopatra's. And before she came in, I says, open your bag. And we were like, she says, where'd you put my bag? I says, a gun. <laughs> she went, what? I says, a gun. And uh, she was okay with that. And we went and stayed in a night. And it was about three days after that. Uh, I think it was the 11th of June that me and Sheila arranged to meet in this this Chinese restaurant. It's called the Po San. It's in Alex, Alexandra Pred. So anyway, I, I gets there. It was a Tuesday night. I always remember it. And uh, Sheila Sheila turned up. And as soon as she came in, it's only a small restaurant, and I says to her, uh, did you get followed? And she went, don't be silly. So see five minutes later, Sean, two people walked in and I just knew and they sat down near us and they were dressed in jeans and all that. And I just knew a couple. I went, undercover cops. So Sheila turned around and she says, you say that once, Mayor. She says, and I'm going to go, hey, are you, I says, paranoid? Of course I'm paranoid. I says, it's facing all this time. So I just knew it. And there was another five or six guys in the restaurant. And they were celebrating, oh, past the driving license. But I'm not thinking anything of them. But see, for this restaurant, you could see through at the front and you could see loads of people coming in for takeaways. That was all police. And I says, I got that back. I just knew. I says, I got that back door. I got the front door. I'm caught. But the thing was as well, Sean, they left us there for three years, which I'm eternal grateful to Strathclyde Police at the time. Well, it was a Scottish crime squad. They could have just nicked me right away, but they had intelligence that Michael Healy was coming into the restaurant. So... They were waiting and waiting. So I says to myself, the last supper, drink, 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 eat, eat, eat. And that's it. And, uh, and Michael Healy, just to explain but, uh, to the American viewers. Michael Healy's a guy, uh, it, it, he was the leader of the, the team for the, the robbery and he escaped for Shots Prison. Okay. He was in 10 years in the butcher's van. Yeah. And he's the only, play, only person still to this day that's escaped. So the intelligence, and Michael was to come in and meet me. Did you say to this day? No, to, to this day. That's the end of the story. No, to, the story. to, to this day. That, uh, this was back in 91. Michael was to come into the Chinese restaurant uh, to meet us. So they want to get you all at once. Aye, so, because I was wondering, and I'm drinking, going, and I just said, you know, you get that six cents, and I went, there's police all about, you know what I mean, could smell them, you know what I mean? And uh, so Michael never came in. Fortunately for himself, he never came in. But I get three years had dinners and drinks and and I'm saying to myself, right, this is that. Then they made their move. Yeah. They were called the Scottish Crime Squad then. They were they came from Aberdeen, Dundee and Perth. It's called the Serious Crime Squad now. But the Scottish Crime Squad were made up with police officers from Scotland. Were you not thinking there's a possible way you could escape? No, there was none, Sean. There was none. I just I, I knew they'd be sitting outside in a van. But see see the funny thing in the the restaurant, which I noticed weeks later, well I get a thing with recall back later. I was I was getting more drunker than I was saying to Sheila and she's gone, There's no police and all that and I said, No, can I know? And I was just 
because she says, if you mentioned ones where I'm just going to leave. So I was saying, look, I need to fuck off to Spain. And uh, little did I know, they had a directional mic. See this, the lovely couple, as I call mm. them. There was a big silver pen mm. and it was facing. And I believe it's never come out, but I believe that was a directional mic going out, to, a, I, going out <laughs> to a car outside or a van. And then the door exits covered. And, uh, and it was right. Because they, they says to me, well, what happened is uh, after three hours, Sheila went, Christ, look at all these people coming in here. And they all just rushed in. There was about 10 of them, 12 of them rushed in. The six, it was the the thing with the, the driving license. They all got up, pulled out guns. But see, the lovely couple, they were the first people to just actually jump right in topes, me and Sheila. And uh, they're rolling about with me and, and all the rest of them. They've got Sheila down secured cuffed. They've got me up, and there's this funny story to this. What's the customers? And I can say this. Oh, they were just. There wasn't many customers in that night. Yeah, and there's tables going around the place, and I'm growing about. So they eventually got me. They got me up in the air, and they had me up like this. And uh, and one in my pocket, and he's gone. He said, A gun, he's a gun. So I'm getting choked as well. So the, the police officers took the gun out. And he's went out of the bar and he's, he's done that with a revolver, threw all the bullets out. But I'm going blue and I'm going, for fuck's sake, this is a overdrive, over, overkill. So the next minute, this wee Chinese guy came running over and he shouted, I thought he was going to say, <laughs> I thought he was going to say, uh, who's a uh, pain? Uh, uh, no, I thought he was going to say, uh, you're going to kill this guy because I was going blue because there was no need for it. They had the gun out. Do you know what he shouted? He shouted, who's paying this bill? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, 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 and it is funny, but see this at the time. And at that, they see the a Scottish crime squad relaxed their grip on my, my neck. And it was one of the momentous moments in my criminal career. And one of the saddest, the momentous, I went like, bloop, 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 earth free the Scottish crime squad, my sick. And the saddest, yeah, yeah, and the saddest was getting took away in handcuffs. Yeah. So they took me, so they explained to me the police officer. They took me down to a police office called Linden Road in Glasgow, and they says to this detective sergeant that was charge of the operation, he says, Ian, he says we've been looking for you for five weeks. He says uh, our duty was only to arrest you and hand you over to England, the Devon and Cornwall police. But since you've been done with this gun, you're going to get to Berlin. <laughs> And I went, oh, for fuck's sake. Gary had already been in there for another attempt murder. What is Berlini, just to explain? Berlini is a hellhole of a prison. It's a, it's, it's a maximum security prison in Glasgow. And it's a, it's a local prison. It deals with remand prisoners and prisoners doing up to two or three years. It's been there for over 100 years. And uh, it's just... It, it became it became my second home. My my house. I only stayed five minutes away. I stayed in a Proven Mill, and that was the only thing. Me and my school was next to it, and I went to this big round school called Smithycroft, and uh, and I used to look up there. And in later years, I, I says I must have been destined to get in there. So the prison officers were bastards at the time. They were. They were. But do you mind me swearing? No, no, go for it. No, there were bastards at the time in the 80s, right? And, uh, in terms of like beating the prisoners beating up. Beating prisoners up and all that. So this was 91 and I'd, I'd already been up. Gary was, Gary had been in at the time. 
a couple of months before that. And uh, and I, I went into the prison to, to give him a visit and I shouted one of the prison officers, I said, see you, you fucking wank. I says, battering me and blah, 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 three years before. And he's like, ah. so so they never let me in to see Gary. And uh, I was going out and uh, I says to him, I says, I think he's a hard man. I says, come on outside. I says, I'll take one of and they were like, ah, get to fuck and all that, right? So, so I'm in, uh, so the sisters, Ian, you're going to Glasgow Sheriff Court to be charged with this gun. You're not going to England. So I went, fuck, right. So I went to Glasgow Sheriff Court, got to Berlin. Uh, the process in Berlin is you go to see hold the mantle. So I'd get up there, Sean, in late afternoon, and I, I just managed to get into my cell in uh, Berlin, Sea Hall, the Romanto, and I was in my cell, I was an escape risk. So for five to six, Sean, I was walking up and down the cell, and I was saying to myself, fucking hell, I can't even believe this. It says, I'm going to lose a pub, I'm going to lose Sheila, I'm going to lose a wedding, and a million pounds. What sentence am I going to get done in England? I've been done with a gun. My whole life just fell apart. So at that time, there was no toilets or no radios or nothing like that. There was piss pots. And for their viewers, a piss pot is you just it's a pot and you piss in and you go to this communal toilet and you pour it and it, it stinks. And so if you're locked down because you're an escape risk, you're stuck with your piss pot in your cell and you're your pissing your shit. is right yeah, there right you next need, to you. Yeah, you need to do this. This is back yeah. in June 91, you know what I mean? And uh, so, and I says to myself, well, at six o'clock, I says, I'll go, to the, I'll, I'll go to the toilet and I was allowed to see other prisoners and I'll see who's in and whatever. So my door opened at six o'clock and I felt that, I just I just felt the hall was eerily silent. And uh, instead of me walking out with the piss pot, two of these young officers went like that, two of the prison officers went, uh, cell search. And I went, cell search? I says, I've not even been in long enough to bring me hide anything. So they went, look, and you've got to strip your, your prison issue clothing down. So I, it didn't feel right, Sean, right? I just hit this uh, another eerie thing, mate. Mm. But this didn't feel wrong. And I uh, started taking off my shirt and I saw the two young officers looking at each other. And uh, and I got my sleeve down and one of them like, tried to punch me. So I steamed into them and another six of them running came running in they, they were uh, they, they were standing outside against the wall so it was all orchestrated and they knew what they were doing so they got me down in my knees pulled my hair back and they all says you know what this is for McDonald don't you and I went no what's it for they says it's payback time because getting back a wee bit as well Sean there was a riot in Berlin it was one of the, the biggest riots in British history I took five uh, officers up on the roof and uh my pal Sammy Ralston and Ernie Barry, God bless him. I was just at his funeral last week. Ernie was, he was doing eight, 18 years at the time for a bank and never done rough justice. So they were up in the roof and all that. And I'd went down the second day and I'd, I was in this pub. It was, I think it was February, January 1986, I think it was. And I, I was in the pub and I went back to my mother's. Fairly odd year ago, and I got this book polish. And the name of the, the governor then was Slasher Gallica. He was feared with the prisoners and the prison officers. And uh, so I went like, Slasher Gallica is an animal. I should know he'd done it. And I pulled this shit up. And ITN News and all that, and England were there. And uh, and it was 
or coveraged, and they were up on the roof and they were singing these songs. There was this uh, band in Glasgow called Scheme, and uh, they would have made it big, but they were singing politics, CND, and all that. But the, the boys up on the roof were singing Innocent. They had a song, Innocent as Hell, and all that. And, and they had all the uniforms that they took off the officers and were banging them. And they were up in the chimneys. It was it was on the, the TV over Britain. So, anyway, getting back to me, uh, ready to go to the door. So they've got me down. Uh, I was orchestrated. They went, you know what this is for? Uh, payback time. They booted fuck out of me, Sean. But I don't, I don't mind her doing, but see in the 80s they brought these uh, restraint techniques came out where they bend your, your arms, they, they bend your wrists, and it is sore. Any prison will tell you. And the prison officers these days, still in these days, they, 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 they do it and they, they get you to scream in, they go, they go once it's happened. Like they're going to snap your arm? Yeah, and they yeah. go like that. And I think they do it like in mental hospitals and all that as well. It's, it's yeah. a restraint technique. And there's only supposed to be one officer that does it, it's true. So they've done that to me, try to get me to scream. So I heard to out of this, this hall, there was about 200 prisoners in it. One door banged. And uh, they went, leave the guy alone. So they took me down to this strip cell. They chickened me up. And they, what that means is I had my, my legs bent right over, stripped me naked, and they left me, left me in this padded cell. And it was just this padded thing, and I just sat there. But the guy that banged the door, his name's Carrie Carbon. He comes to Poso. Thank you, Carrie, for doing this. Because this guy got a doing as well. Uh, Carrie banged his door and says, so they were up. I didn't find out till the next morning. They were up to his cell and he was sitting having a fag in it. They went, Oh, you the hard man that's banged the door? They went, No, they went, Get him. So they battered his gun in. So the next morning, I sat there all night and I went, I'm going to slash one of these bastards. I says, I'm not, I says, I've nothing to lose. I've got the bank robbery to get for. So I've lost everything else. I'm going to fucking slash one of them because I'd done a few slashings in Berlin uh, before, Sean, to tell you the truth, when I was in there and uh, for years, just to make up a toothbrush. I'd put a wee thing, my razor on it, sold it together with matches and that and I've slashed people. And at that time in the 80s, you could slash somebody for a half ounce of tobacco. Yeah. It was that thing we knew. People would pay thousands. Where would you target them? I would target them in Fingmate in the communal bit of the toilet and yeah. I would just get into the cell and do it in there. There was no Where cameras. About, whereabouts would you get them? I would get them on the face. On the face. I, I wouldn't go yeah. for the neck because I'd be killing them. Yeah. yeah. But the face, I've got a Mars bar myself as you yeah. can see. Yeah. And uh and I've always said, you dish it out, you get it back. Well, I'll yeah. explain that later. Okay. But uh, at this time, the door got opened the next morning with this other shift that came on at Berlini. And uh, they says to me, uh, so there was this screw, I knew him, he came from Proven Mill. His name was Andy. And he went like that, he says, hey, now, I says, how am I doing? I says, I'm not doing too good, am I? He went, come on, I'll take your line for a shower. I says, no, I'm not I'm no wearing that because I sat all night naked, bruises all over the place. I said, I'm going to do them in. He says, no, I've got your clothes. So he's got my clothes, took me along for a shower and I'm in the shower and I'm using this soap, white Windsor soap and I says, I better get used to this. I'm going to be in for a few years. And uh, and this Andy went to me. He's a he's still a prison officer in Berlin. He just knew Andy Moore, his name is. He went, Ian, I've got some bad news for you. And I'm busy showering and I went, I don't think you could give me any bad news. Any more bad news. He went, we'll see when you get banged up for 12 to 1. 
because this was the new shift that started in the morning. He says, uh, the officers are going to get the fuck out of you again. And I says, wait a fucking minute. I says, do you think I'm in here for recreational purposes? Do you think I'm a, a cricket ball? It's just to be battered about here. And he went, I'm just letting you know, but I'm taking the part of it. He says, when you see the governor, tell the governor you want to go to the Wendy house. Well, for, Sean, to explain to the viewers, the Wendy house in Berlin is a segregation unit and it's built like a Wendy house. When I was in there in the early 80s, when I used to get put into segregation, you just get put into another hall and get put to the bottom of the, 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 the thing, the bottom of the, the landing. But they built this Wendy house place. And I says, what, what, why should I uh, say I want to get into the, the Wendy house? He went, well, Ian, he says, uh, he says, because I've told you, he says, the prison officer's going to find me. I says, I says, wait a minute. I says, what do you mean when I see the governor? I says, I'm not at Butlin's holiday camp. Hi, hi, how you doing? Enjoy your holiday. I says, uh, why, why have I to see the governor this morning? And he says, oh, did I not tell you? The shift for last night says you attacked him. I went, oh, no bother, Andy, you know what I mean? So that's what happened, Sean. I get took to this Wendy house and the uh, governor, and I, I told them, look, I've, I've been battered and all that. They've done that to me and all that. So the governor went, I'm going to keep you in here, investigation. So that morning, uh, Sheila came up to visit Gary. So they went, fucking hell, look at the state of you. Mm. And at the time, Sean, it was glass windows. At the time in a visit room, uh, you, you couldn't, there was no physical contact. You got to pick up a phone or is it like a hole? No, it's no like the Americans, uh, they pick up the phone. Yeah. There was just wee holes in it. Holes, yeah. So Gary and another friend and uh, Sheila were there. I went, fuck, what happened to you? I says, I've been strangled in the Chinese restaurant. I says, I've just arrived in Berlin. I says, I was in my cellar one hour. I says, they battered my cunt in. I says, I'm not I'm no standing for this. I says, I'm going to slash one of them. And Gary went, I dare. As you can see, He's, he, he knows what it's like and Sheila went no stop encouraging him I says no I'm going to slash one of them I says what, what else can they give me I'm, I'm going to face fucking about 20 years or something so Sheila went like that to me she'd never been to a prison before and she says to me she says look I've got the wee baby your dad had just turned two and uh, she says I'll wait for you for 10 years so anyway so I made her this promise and I says okay then I'll do this I says uh, I'll thing me I'll, I'll not I'll not succumb to any tactics that they're going to try with me so, but they did so so I went back to myself and I, I says to myself I walked about for a couple of minutes and I went did Sheila just say I was only been for 10 years there and this is when it was just dawning that all these charges the gun to get for and the bank and all that and I went fucking hell so I kept the promise but uh they noised me up twice in the Wendy house. Uh, these young officers, I called them the Chungum Gang in the, the book that I've got it. And I don't want, know why I called them the Chungum Gang, but the jail tear and all that, and the Chungum and all that. But I wear jail tear, Chungum, they're swagging a bit. And, uh, and they were trying to noise me up. So one occasion, they came to the door, Sean, on a Friday, and it still happens as day and age. And now Saturday and Sunday, you get banged up at the weekend at five o'clock. And that's you through it the next morning in Berlin. So I was an escapist, so I was to take my clothes off and put it in a chair, but I usually put it about half four, quarter to five. But uh, they came to me about half three, they, this chewing gum gun, and they went, uh, put your pyjamas on. 
I says, I'm not putting my pyjamas on. I says, it's only, it's only the back of three or whatever. They went, no, just get them on. I says, no. I says, see all that water? And one of them went, aye. And uh, I says, what? I says, well, think me. And one, one of them went, aye, our social club's there. You'll know be there the night, right? You get that bit. And I went, oh, very funny. So I went, there's Parkhead over there. Celtic Football Park is only a distance of five, six minutes for Berlinie. And he says, and what? I says, there's wee boys at five and six. I says, you're away to watch the football and you're telling me to put my pyjamas off. I says, fuck off. And they just went, hee, hee, hee. And then off they went. So the second incident, about a week later, so I never rose to it because I've got this promise for Sheila. And uh, the second incident, uh, I was taking my clothes in, Sean. And uh, I noticed they were wet. So the third morning, I says, nah. I says, I'm not taking this. So the chewing gum can came all these young officers, right, again. So, and they were wondering how I hadn't says anything, but I left it three days. And I says to myself, well, there's no, uh, I says, the shower's 60 metres along there. I says, and there's no a roof. There's no, there's no a, a leak above my door. So, and I says that, I says that to him, I says, look, my clothes have been wet, no, I says the shower and the, the thing, there's no a leak. And he says, it might be the cats. See, see, at that time, there was cats in Berlinie and there was a steel gate that was opened and uh, they could have come in. And I just went like that, I says, no, no use cats, use fucking dogs. And I just slammed the fucking door and uh, they went away, hee, hee, hee again, you know what I mean? So, Did you think they were pissing on it or something? No, no, that's what it was. No, it actually was? No, no, they were pissing on it. Okay. No, no, they definitely without thing me doubt pushing, but it took me three days to say right. Yeah. Because I'm gritting my teeth, I'm still in this promise because I've just lamped one of them. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, the, the five weeks passed and I pled guilty to the gun charge and mm. I get took to I get took to Edinburgh High Court and uh, I'm sitting in the dog boxes and uh, the door opened and I went to myself, fuck, I've won a millionaire, I've I've won a, a million pound here. What happened, Sean, is see the guy open the door, see the pub I, I, I had. This guy, he was a plumber, and we kept his mum and dad after hours and kept him, and he had no work at the time. And he says to about two years before this, and he, his mum and dad says to me, listen, I forget his name, Tom or something, says he's going to, he's joined the prison service. So I was keeping around after hours, and there was a couple of my friends, and they were saying, look, you'll become an animal, you'll need to join in and battle the prisoners. And they went, no, you know, I'll not do that. I'll take wee bits of hash and I'll do this, I'll do that. But I know, I says, look, I'm not going to slag you. He opened my door to take me to Edinburgh Court, and I says, I'm going to say, let me get my coffee. off, and when we get to Edinburgh Court, I'm going to just jump out of this van. But I got into the van, and within five minutes, I couldn't even ask him that. And the only thing I got after him was a polo man. He went, Oh, this job's been great for me. He says, I stay out in Cumbernauld now, the chewing gum gang I mentioned earlier. Uh, I've been to Canada, I've got a girlfriend. don't know how he managed that, but he did anyway. But uh, and it, it's, and I just couldn't ask him. I went, fuck all I'm getting is this polo man. So I couldn't say, going to take his cups to escape. So anyway, I get two and a half years, get put back to Berlin, and uh, they put me on the main hall, and after two days, I get shouted down by uh, one of the governors, and he says, I heard you're going to attack one of my men. I, I still had it, but Sheila was still coming up, and I says, look, I'm not going to do nothing, but they were noising me up, 
and I wasn't so glad to go to there. I was in there for June to August and they took me down to Devon and Cornwall for an ID parade at uh, Plymouth and the copper that I jumped out the window, he, he picked me out. Mm. So they put me into a place called Dartmoor for three days and it was one of the grimmest prisons. It was all fog and all that, something like Count Dracula film. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so they took me back up to Scotland and uh, a few weeks after that, police came out again and says Ian would you consent to come down to England and I went yes I was dying to go to the place right but getting back to the story and I'm jumping back forward when I got my two and a half years and I got out the Wendy house uh, I got shouted in two days later with this governor who was a pure bastard so he was a pure bastard and he was sitting with another officer and they went I heard you're going to attack one of my men. Is this the slasher? They call him the slasher. No, it wasn't the slasher Gallagher. different government. No, I, okay. I've got a story to tell about him. He's been assaulting me yeah. in the 80s. Uh, this was another one, a prison of principal officer. And he says, uh, I'm going to... And I says, no. He says, well, I'll tell you why. He says, see if you touch any of my officers. He says, I'll have every bone in your body broken. And uh, thing me, you get took to the hospital and, that, and I went, I can't bother I'm not the landing. But I was biting my teeth not to do that because of this promise. So uh, if I can just get back, I know I know where I'm at just now. Can, I've already been down to Plymouth, I think. I'll, I'll, September, I'm ready to move down to England. But but if I can just get back to the 80s, Sean. Yeah. A uh, couple of stories in Berlin, I've had a couple of beatings. And uh, there was dining halls in uh, Berlin, and this is going back 1984. And there was dining halls now. You just get your food down at the hot train. You go back to your cell. What was the food? Food was crap. Was it? It was crap. You used to call it the Berlinish stew curry. Stew curry? Aye, a stew, like stew curry. Then it was... Lucky if the cats in Berlin would have ate it. <laughs> but we, but I, I'm, I'm thinking we programmed to eat anything because I'd been in a proof school and that yeah. before it. But no, the food was disgusting. So this was what this riot was about. We were in the dining halls and it was a Saturday, as I already explained. You get banged up at five, the whole prison. And uh, around about four o'clock, we just whispers went around, right, we're refusing this food, we want a replacement. So they says, you're thinking, fuck all replacement. So the people at my table, there was a guy down for Peter Head visiting. And uh, Peter Head, that was a top security nick, away uh, up Aberdeenshire. And he was coming down visits for his family. He was sitting at a the table. There was another couple of guys. And uh, he says, right, we're joining in. Fucking, if, if it's going to go off, we're getting in. But this guy's doing life for 10 years. I was doing 12 years at this time. And uh, so they happened to come out to my table. And they says to the guy, uh, Peter Heads, and his other boy, Ted Cuddy, and they grabbed Ted and they went, right, move. And he says, no, and we says, don't move. And uh, they tried to grab him. I just jumped up with a teapot and smashed one and where the fucking head went. And my other pal jumped up and hopped a chair. But the whole dining hall got up and I went, yes, I couldn't pick right here. <laughs> I was only 24, 25 at the time. And, uh, but everybody just started running up and down and all the other officers came in and they were going, oh, McDonald, McDonald, and the other guy. So I got into the hall and these officers went like, look, he just stand here. I says, no, I'm going up to my cell. So they looked in the whole prison, Sean, at five o'clock, and there must have been about 50 prison officers, at least. They've they've congregated, 
and I could hear him, but I was I was uh, banged up with a guy. He was only doing three months, and he's, the guy was shitting himself. He was going, oh, fuck, you're going to get some doing and all that. They're battering me. I went, no. So what they've done is they've opened the door and they've shouted him out and put him in another cell. And, uh, and I was standing there, and I'd one of my wee razor blades, yeah. which I told you, at 16. So I, I, I was standing, and I was standing. At the, there was a, a bed at the, the window, and I was standing the bed and I could hear them all outside congregating. I went, fuck, I says, I'm going to slash her. And I went, so the door opened and it was a slasher Gallica, right, that everybody feared. And uh, it looked a menacing figure. He had this trilby hat on and uh, this long coat. And he just went, get him. And I just dropped to the toothbrush and the blade. I says, it's not worth it. Yeah. So they were ordered, it was like a gone, like I was in the third landing. And it was like a gone, like a prison officer, see a black all the way down the stairs. And this is 80s, the window house is not there at the time. And, uh, and I'm going through this tunnel, going through E Hill. And every one of them were ordered not to use their bottoms, but give me a kick and a punch. Mm. I was lucky I never had any broken bones. But the next morning I woke up like the elephant man and uh, I got charged. They charged me with two assaults. And uh, the prison doctor, as per usual at the time, says, oh, I must have fell down the stairs, the usual back then, right? Slipping so the shower. Bother. But what I've got to tell you, Sean, is I know I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. See, the other guy that they were, they were getting, there was two years. I spoke to him many months later and he went, he says, I could see them through my peak pool and they went to get you first. He says, I could hear you screaming because they were punching my fucking balls and face and everything. He says, I wish I had been took first. He ended up with a couple of broke ribs and that. Mm. So, and I had a visit with my mother about two or three days later. And I was, I was, I was some state. And, uh, and I, I've rang the bell. They kept me away from all the other prisoners and all that. And I've rang the bell and I says, what about this visit? They went, what visit? But I found out thing weeks later. My mum turned up at the the gate for the visit, and they says Ian doesn't want the visit. Mm. They just didn't want to see like that. And uh, no witnesses. Uh, any witnesses. So that that was the what that's the worst doing I've ever had in prison. Mm. That one with Slasher Gallica. Slasher Gallica actually slashed a prisoner up Peter Heat. So we got the name. Uh, and do you know what he done? No. No, the guys, the guys slash Slasher Gallagher, and instead of getting the police to him, Slasher Gallagher actually just says, right, hold him down, and he slashed him back. But he promised the guy, the guy's uh, dead now, I think his name is Bobby Brody, he promised the guy about a week later, he went, listen, keep your trap shut, and I'll get you into this special unit, where Jimmy Boyle and that was. Mm. So this is how this, this governor was called this. But he was he was a tough governor, and everybody feared him, cons and uh, prison officers. Mm. So getting on to that, uh, September 91, I get took, I've signed out the papers to, to begin to England, I'm doing this two and a half years, and uh, I get took to Sockton for the night, and uh, there was six Devonshire, uh, Devon and Somerset police, and they were gunned up two cars, 100 miles an hour, all the way down, I get took down to Bristol, I got took down to Bristol. I think it was a Friday or something. And I was to go. To, I was to make my first appearance at the uh, Torquay Magistrates Court to be charged with the six million field bank robbery. And uh, my pal Michael Carroll was in. We were put in the block that's called in in Scotland. They call it the digger, but in uh, Scotland, in Scotland it's called digger, and in England it's called the block. So we're in the block, uh, solitary. 
and uh, Michael Carroll, he was already arrested. He'd been arrested a couple of weeks before that in Bournemouth. I think he was arrested with a gun as well. <laughs> so he went like to me, says Ian, he says, see when you go to court, see when you go to uh, good reception and on Monday at Bristol Horfield. He says, you're not going to believe this. I says, what? He says, there's going to be two Range Rovers with machine guns. There's going to be a motorcycle outriders, a helicopter. When you get to Torquay Magistrates Court, there's going to be a, a sniper on the roof. I went, nah. I says, for a wee guy like me for Glasgow. I says, for, well, Glasgow. I says, no chance. And he was right. I fucking went out and ate on. They were just shoving everybody out the way, Sean, and straight all the way to Torquay. So I think I was going back to... I'd been getting my depositions at court just as well. So I thought I was going back to uh, Bristol. But, but we got to this place. I didn't know any jails in England. We got to this place. I'm in the, the book again. I've mentioned Gangster Wing. And uh, the reason I say is that, because I go to this reception and he says, you're now in HMP Long Latin. It's in a place called Evesham. 30 miles from Birmingham, uh, Worcestershire. And uh, so I got there, top security in like two and a half years. I says to the prison officer, I don't really want to be here. I says, are you there? He says, this is not a bad prison. And I, I, during the course of my sentence, I ended up there about four times because I kept moving about Cat A. So I got to into the hall, I think it was E Hall, and had my bed pack, and I was at the office get ready to be assigned my card with cell I was thinking to so this wee guy from Liverpool sneaked in and wee guy Tony he was doing six years and he went like to me and I knew and I says they're going to think I'm a grass no grass is weed as an informant yeah snitch right yeah, yeah a snitch because I'm only doing two and a half years because I think the lowest sentence was five years in that prison mm. and uh, and I'm double A category mm. And double A categories, the highest you could be on. Like super I was on, Yeah, I was America. on that for a year. Yeah. Then the other seven year I was on thing with A cat. So anyway, he's quizzing me and all that. And he's going, hi, mate, and all that. And, I, and I'm going, I came down from Berlin. And I was in Sorkton and I'd been to Bristol for the weekend. It didn't sound right. And uh, But this guy had sent him down, this guy, John Haas. This guy ended up getting, out, getting released for a 14 year prison sentence. December and uh, December ended up next door to him so I went up the stairs and uh, <clears throat> I went in to see this John has and I says this is my depositions mate and he went oh, you're, you're okay I says look I says the reason I'm here I think the police think that Michael Hill is going to break me up because he's already broke out and all that they weren't taking chances but so that that was the reason so I, I, I settled in there and it, it was great <laughs> the, pl the place was great and I got to know everybody and all that and so John Nass, he get released and uh, he was quite a top figure and I says, he's going to get run, run Liverpool, you could see it in him. And uh, he got out in December 91 and he got 18 years and uh, he ended up getting a royal pardon and all that. I don't get too much about it, but I think it's, I think we were getting guns stashed in Liverpool and all that. And how recently had Healy broken out before this? He, he, he'd been on the run three and a half years. Okay. He, he, he'd been on the run for... I think he went on the run December 88. Okay. And he came up to the pub around about April 91. Mm. 
So it was, it was away quite a while. So, so you're thinking was, you're, you're going to take off next? Yeah, so yeah. the thought that he was going to kind of break me out. Oh, he was like going to break you out? Yeah. yeah. So that's the reason they, they put me in a high security prison. Mm. But so I was in there the two and a half year before I instant and I met people and uh, I ended up getting moved to, uh, the two and a half years finished and I get moved to Brick. Brixton Prison there was a secure unit in Brixton, there as London. well yeah. yeah and just before I was in there Sean there was two IRA prisoners they get a, they got a gun smuggled in a training show yeah and the guys managed to escape and go over the wall and get away and all that just for the American viewers explain what the IRA prisoners means it means the Irish Republican Army uh, they've been fighting for for a cause for years <clears throat> it was mostly because they were, they were getting treated unfairly, Protestants. They thought that they were getting everything. And uh, I'm sure most of the American audience will know yeah. who they are here. Well, the bombs were going a, off around them, uh, that, There was yeah. a lot of, I think, uh, there's a lot of Americans fundraising yeah. and that as well. So the, these two guys, I don't know how they've done it, but they've done it. There wasn't all the high-tech uh, scans and that at the time in the prisons so one of them was a gun and he's pulled, we're going to church in the morning or something pulled the gun out and uh, Hank to tell you the truth Hank MI5 let them go I think they were trying to find a cache of weapons that they'd had or something wow. so they managed to get put a big bit of wood against the wall in the wall and, I, and I'm sure from the recollection collects me right they hijacked a car and they were away yeah. So they were. So I was in this this Brixton. I didn't like it. It was like a couple of weeks, and uh, ended up fucking fighting with a screw and all that, and they put me in the block. Why did you fight a guard? Because I asked him for my canteen, Sean. And uh, you know what canteen is? Canteen yeah. is you get paid your wages, and you can buy your toiletries and chocolate. I didn't smoke, so it held me in good regard in years. So I get put down in the the block. A couple of days later, they came and says, right, you're moving. I went, thank fuck for that. So they took me to Wormwood Scrubs in March 93. And uh, I thought Wormwood Scrubs, it was just, it was just, it was basically, it was like berlin but no as bad, bad prison officers, but that was a kind of a set-up, uh, old Victoria building and that. So while I was there, uh Couple of weeks later, this guy came in. It just it, it it stole a million pound of scoodles for Heathrow Airport. His name was Florida Phil, and uh, he was on the run for four years. And he came in, and he was a a security. It was just a security worker, a guard, and he used to go to high voltage planes and collect high voltage money, jewelry, whatever. And uh, he was telling us we could talk to him. He came from Stockport. The guy, the guy was in late forties and had heart con- heart condition. Everybody's like that. Oh, Florida full away. Where's the kids? The papers. The sun, the sun was splashing all over the place. It was like a Robin Hood figure. It's it left the wages for the Heathrow workers. So, <laughs> but he took, he took the escudos, <laughs> and uh, he, when he got caught by the when he escaped, they were seeing Florida full. We must have been Florida, but he was actually came out. He was in a caravan park in Hastings. So I, I get pals with me and all that, and uh, and everybody's like, ah, oh, they were all trying to find me, 
you know there's bullying in prison and that so I says look leave the guy out and I used to say Phil where's your scoodles and that he says he, and he says hey, London gangsters have took it after me he says I just met these guys in the pub he says and uh, they, 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 they think me says right they've took me some money I says but you've been in 20 countries I mean I used to come back and get money I had a passport and he was called Philip Green as a greengrocer that, that was the alias and he's telling me all these countries so he told me this uh, story about uh, Olga he'd met Olga in Malta in a bar and she was part of the Russian Federation of Gymnastics so I'm, I, says, I says that's good meeting her he says no I says I've been to Russia her family were poor and I bought a TV and all that and he's telling me things like that so a couple of weeks later I was I was out for association you get association three times a week then. recreation yeah recreation yeah. you can play table tennis or sit and play cards or use the phone so Phil, Phil had this phone call with Olga and uh, he says oh I'm looking forward to this call with Olga because we're on the pay phones then with the card because he's phoning with Russia they've allowed him a, vis- a, a phone call so I went oh, good luck and all that uh, thing he's like I'm dying to talk to him that and uh I was like, all right, good. So I'm playing table tennis and Phil came back and he just walked by and went, okay, you okay? He went, oh, no, and he went into his cell. And about five, ten minutes later, he must have pressed his bell. I told you the heart condition. And I, I saw the screws all rushing in and I went, fuck's sake. I said, Phil's no, he's no trouble. And I'd have ran out and he's, he's getting stretched out and I ran out. And I says, you all right, you okay? He says, no, Olga just, uh, told me she doesn't want anything to do with me and I felt sorry for him and I says oh sorry to hear that but prison can be cruel as you know Sean you were in prison yourself and all you see guys get gutsy they're looking yeah. at the, out the window to see if the, the women are going to show up yeah I know so, so, so I, I was feeling sorry but there's a twist to the tale of this story two weeks later the Sunday Mirror published a two a two page spread and it says that Olga she was in Malta, right? She was in the Russian Federation, by the way. She was a go-go dancer and she'd go with anybody for a bottle of vodka. So, <laughs> so everybody was slagging Phil. He thought, and once he was at his cell, somebody went in with toothpaste or something and put, put this two spreads oh. thing in the wall. And it, it went through a hard time. So at the same time, I had uh, Sheila down visiting me and uh, she believes in psychics and all that. And uh, I don't know palm reading and that. So she says, and she says, I've been a psychic, and the woman knows you're away somewhere, and I'm going, ah, bollocks. She says, no, the woman says, I can see her number six. So I went, okay, and he boils. So we talk, so I went up to myself, and nothing else to do but think. And I'm going, she's so psychic, she knows I'm away somewhere. I'm starting to believe this. Uh, a number six, maybe I'm going to get six years. I could handle six years. <laughs> but what she forgot to do is when I got to... Uh, the old Bailey she forgot to, the, the psychic whoever forgot he had a one in it I got 16 years and and another twist in the tale I think the six was meant for Phil Phil became a good pal he got six years because it was only a theft and uh, Phil went to Parkhurst and I was writing to him and I was telling Sean earlier I got a letter saying oh some of these young guys are trying to take my tobacco and I went what a guy like so I wrote to somebody in Parkhurst I went look Look after phone and went, what is somebody trying to take his tobacco? The guy was just, it was just an ordinary, he wasn't a crook and he saw an opportunity and uh, 
if Phil's still living today, I would like so to see So was he making a lot of London gangsters? He's, he really hid, he, the, he'd hid the money. Right, right. I, the I, I, London gangsters took it from right, him. I so believe, he, he, he says he was going into the pub and all that, and yeah. then you've seen the work turn. But see, see my uh, take on it, I believe Phil got the money himself. Yeah. And thing with, and uh, good luck to him. Good yeah. luck, good yeah. luck to the guy. But uh, this was the story, uh, the London gangsters, because there was a lot of people going to like you sell going, mm. where's the money? You know, I'll protect you. Not and he's going, I'm not yeah. going. So, but I believe so, and I, I wish him well if he's still thinking about so it. You mentioned going caught the old belly there. Are you right now facing court dates in Bristol still for the? Yeah, Lovely. yeah. So, so I get to so before that, I've I've, I've jumped I've jumped away there. Okay. So. When I finished the, so before I nineteen, I was in for June nineteen ninety one. Moved to England September, and it took sixteen months to get to the first trial. So, because it's in even the Somerset uh, district, they were having a, a a first trial at Bristol Crown Court. So they rounded us up and they took us down to Bristol. And uh, the trial started in Bristol, I think it was the 5th October 1992, and it went on for five weeks, and it was a comedy of errors. Uh, there was three different juries, and the prison officers hated us in there because we were running amok. We opened up a new hall, and we were thrown through each other. And I went down to court, and the thing made, I came back one day, and they went, you've been put on report three times. We threw salt, they were getting us cold sandwiches, and this day we decided... We, the sixes would get the puts in the one cell, and they were getting us cold sandwiches and they had a big tub of tomato sauce and brown sauce. And we went, oh, we've had the fucking enough of this, and we just grabbed the fucking sauce, threw it to the six officers, and we all ran like fuck. And uh, so we were a headache to, to the, the Bristol prison officers. So every time we came back, we came back a second time, I think we were into two weeks of the trial. We came back and we went, what happened to the day, lads? Because we're dying to get rid of us. We went, Oh, there's a, a third jury getting sworn in tomorrow. They went, what's happened? She's uh, one of the the jurors has been seen talking to a procurator, well, we call it a procurator fiscal in uh, Scotland, been talking to a QC prosecutor, and uh, and Dermot Wright was a QC for Michael Carroll, and he'd spotted this, and he brought it up in court, and it was quite laughable anyway like that. He says, and... Uh, before we threw the tomato sauce and over the, the thing with the screws, he he made a motion. He says, uh, "If these men are still going to get continued with these this cold food facilities, I'm requesting bail." And we all started giggling because it was a, there was no danger they were giving us bail. But Dermot, good on him. He asked for that, and anyway, and he spotted the the juror. So the third trial went in. And that was just, we're coming up to about the five-week mark. But see, at the time, Sean, me and Michael Healy, me and Michael Healy and that, were, we were looking for recreation. We were trying to look for a weak spot. We wanted to escape, and we couldn't find anywhere in Bristol. But seeing uh, Bristol Crown Court, it was an old court building, right? And uh, we found a weak spot. There was a toilet, right? And somebody could climb our fence and put a gun at these bars so we had a plan in motion that somebody was going to come down for Glasgow get the gun one is going to go to the toilet Scoot was going to put and just wrap him up in the toilet and we were, we were just going to go down and batter the prison officers as well before we left and we weren't going to ask anybody to uh, to affect the escape with cars and that if somebody would have 
came down the gun, it was just going to be a free for all in Bristol, hi- hijacking cars, get away. And we were six category prisoners, so it would have been a big scream up. So unfortunately, somebody grassed us. Mm-hmm. Say, uh, somebody snitched us up in Glasgow that this plan was in motion. I know who it was. It was a girl, right? He'd passed out a letter mm-hmm. with a thing with direction 70 thing, and she's passed it on to the police. What was in it for her to snitch? The, 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 the letter, nothing, nothing really, nothing, nothing that, that, that I know. But the, so we went to Bristol Crown Court this day, and the whole place was covered in security, and there, were, there was people going through barriers, uh, metal detectors. And uh, the thing we want, there was two QCs prosecuting us. And QC means, is it Queen's Council? Is Queen's it? Council, yeah. And that's a prosecutor? Prosecutor, it could be, thing we, it could be Queen's Council to thing we, defend you as well. Okay. So like a public defender? Yeah. Okay. So it's one of the Queen's Council stood up and we were like that. And then, but they had us in handcuffs at this time and we were going, fuck me, Mick's going, fucking hell. What's that sort of about? know what I mean? But, the gun, the gun was there in place at the time, Sean, mm-hmm. but it was ready to be put there. Mm-hmm. But they, they'd got one day just a few days before it, so they've contacted even Somerset Police and uh, told them these men are going to thing me. There's so one of the QCs was asked to get into judge's chambers out of the six. Pick one went in, and he came out of that uh, meeting, and he was under an oath not to discuss what was said in there, right? Because mm-hmm. it says there could be people's lives in danger, judge, QCs, public and the benches, everybody's life was in danger. So, so I think the other QCs are all gone, what, what's this about? But me and Mickey that now, it's this gun. I've got wind, wind of this gun. So the the, the judge uh, briefly just summed up, he went, listen, had enough of this. Uh, he just said, we're going to the Old Bailey. Trial dismissed. Right. So I went back to I went back to Long Latin and Mickey went back here, which was great. So it was. And then uh, one of my other coaches, Robert Harper, went to Wormwood Scrubs. And Wormwood Scrubs, I told you I was in there, but he got put into the segregation and they gave him a hell of a doing. And at that time, Sean they were battering a lot of prisoners in Sean uh, in Wormwood Scrubs and there was a trial. And uh, I think about two or three of them got convicted, and the, there was a lot of compensation. I think my pal got paid about 20 or 30 grand from the when Because when he came back to court and all that, uh, thing mate, he was all bruised, he fucked and all that. So when he, dis- when he dismissed that trial, we went back to Bristol for a couple of days, and uh, they, they used to give us a meeting on a Saturday, and he says, You can fuck all meeting. So three prison officers get assaulted. One got a broken arm, and uh, another one dislocated tip, and one black eyes. So they just went like that, moved us right away. They moved us out to different prisons, and we waited to. That then we waited to July, July nineteen, July nineteen ninety three. So all I had been in custody for June ninety one, uh, to July. 93 so it was it was it was nearly it was nearly thing over over two years over two years before we finally went so we had a five week trial and uh, 
Neil Bailey, as I told you, it was Sir Lawrence Verney, and uh, he he finally told us any more trouble. I know what's happened at Bristol. He says I'll just put you in the cells, or you'll be moved to other prisons. A lot of people have read about the Old Bailey, like in Dickens and stuff. What is the Old Bailey actually like? I thought it was fascinating. 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 In God. What way? I just thought Old Bailey. You hear, hear Old. Ba- I'd never ever thought I'd in my criminal career. I'd never ever thought. I'd be in a place such as the Old Bailey because yeah. there's there's been loads of there's been loads of famous cases, well infamous cases, held at the Old Bailey, and uh, I, I was still hoping to get six years. By the way, what does it look like? And, in uh, it? It's old school. Aye, it's, it's 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 an old building, and I'm sure when we, we before we went into the thing, we see when the van went in, there's a round circle, the van goes round and. But we were just put in a cell and it was just, we, we, we were there for five weeks and uh, we had a character coming down. He was supposed to be sticking up for us, but uh, he was called Thingy, Mr. X. He was a Judas. He he got blamed, the Thingy, setting two guys up in Glasgow to kill them. And... Uh, I won't mention his name, I'll just say it's a Judas and Tringway. He demanded to be called Mr. X or Mr. Y. So he actually made it worse for us. When he went into the dock to give his evidence, he held a Bible and he ended up saying to the jury, Are you looking at me? I'm talking to you. And he was merely uh, growling at them. And the judge had to rebook him. So I thought that was a bad move in Michael Healy's part, uh, getting this guy done as a witness. So the the inevitable came after five weeks. Uh, there there was no deal, by the way, Sean. There was no she likes to let two go, and but Robert Harper and uh, Thomas Carrigan. Look, this is what I forgot to tell you. See when they left, uh, remember the Chris Packett episodes? Yeah. Well, they they left. They left, and they were up to Norwich, and they rented a farmhouse out, and they got a jeep. And they reversed into a gun shop in the middle of Norwich Town Centre and they stole Magnums, Magnum uh, handguns, and they stole pump actions. And they'd done three banks. Then it came and talked for them. They searched the, the farmhouse, found the guns and that. So they were facing uh, all these serious charges. So in May 2003, unbeknown to the jury at the Old Bailey, they've already been convicted of these and they're doing 17 years. So you, you had them the dock in the Old Bailey in trial. Michael Healy, 10 years, but he got two years added for escaping for shots. So he's sitting down 12 years. Thomas Carrigan's sitting down 17 years. Robert Harper's sitting down 17 years. And uh, I was sitting there, I'd been arrested with a loaded firearm on us. So we were like a Jesse James guy <laughs> in Glasgow. So the jury actually went out for two days. And uh, after the first day, we went, how are we going to get away with this but there was no way I think the jury just went out to go to a fancy hotel and get a nice dinner and that so the, the guilty verdict came in and it was a ring of steel with police and all that case we kicked off and we actually I've never said this before I've said it in the book I've never said the interview see when the sentence they went 16 16 and then they gave me my 16 and it says 6 months for the escape when we got the handcuffs then he went 16, 16, 18. Then he went to Michael Healy. And I'm going to give you 19 years. He says, I don't know by law if I can 
do it, but I'm giving you consent. So he was doing 31 years. So I went to myself, for fuck's sake, I'm still trying to struggle with my 16, you know what I mean? And uh, so we stood up and they were expecting a reaction for the sixes to to think me assault them or whatever. And uh, we, we ended up singing a song saying, only look on the bright side of life. While <laughs> we were getting down the stairs. <laughs> and uh, the prison officers were looking as if to say, fucking hell, I thought they were all going to attack us or something. So we sung that song, we took it on the chin, played for high stakes and we lost. Yeah. So I remember saying to Michael Healy, we went to Belmarsh top security unit straight after that again. And the next morning, when it saw dawning on us, I'm walking around with Michael Healy and I says, Michael, do you know something? I says, you're doing longer than the train robbers. Because the train robbers, the, the great train robbery, there's a lot of people know the Glasgow to Euston train was robbed, was robbed a two million in this day, it would be about 20 million or something. And uh, so they get 31 years and Michael get 31 and we hadn't even got a penny. And uh, I'm not ashamed to see that first night in Belmarsh, I think I cried. Mm. They could have heard me up in Glasgow that night. But uh, so after a few days, they, they get ready as so a. I went up to Phil Sutton. Uh, I went up to Phil Sutton. That would have been about August, September 1993. And I was there for three years. And uh, I, met, I met a chap there, Alan Byrne. And that's what I would like to talk about. Alan, Alan's case. I met Alan, a, a wonderful guy. And he'd been in 10 years. He was doing a 20 years recommended sentence for shooting a security guard dead, trying to steal money. So he was telling me, talking to me, says, Ian, he says, uh, for Glasgow and that, he says, I was born in Glasgow, but I'm sure he says he was only in Glasgow six six months to a year as a baby and moved into London. But it's, he had a cockney accent, but he says, I was born in Glasgow. So Alan was well known with all the prisoners very, very highly respected guy so he took a shine to me and uh, we used to have parties with Hooch and all the rest of it so Alan says to me this is about 54, I've done 10 he was always in his gym and all that, very fit so me and Alan were on a visit this day in Phil Sutton and the visit times were for 2 to 4 o'clock and it was a Friday and we used to always have a booze up on a Friday the prison officers to explain to the viewers in these top security prisons where I was in England you got a wee bit of leeway because security was paramount as long as you didn't try to escape you got it relaxed you could make hooch to to the viewers hooch is you fermented oranges or apples or potatoes with orange juice and uh, and you left it in a bucket to ferment and it would, it would turn into strong alcohol so we used to have these parties and uh, this night we are having a party the IRA were around the corner and a guy Archibald Tall he was from Scotland he was called the butler he'd murdered six people and I used to get into his cell and I used to say Archie tell us about these six murders again because he was he used to be a butler and, and he he fingered he killed this Killed this couple up in Dumfrieshire. Uh, it was a butler, one of them was an MP, 
and he was—he was, he was thinking he was homosexual, actually. So his boyfriend, he got his boyfriend a job, and it was a big, large estate. And he says his boyfriend, I remember him saying, his boyfriend came in this night steaming and he pointed a gun at Archie. And Archie went, oh, and Archie says to his, I'll get you back. So Archie says, told me the story. He says, the next day, he says, Mum will go hunting with rabbits. So he's heard him shooting off six or ten shots or whatever. Then he just turned and went bang, bang. Mm. And shot him. And so he buried him. And he told us, I know it's gruesome and that, but it's quite funny as well. It says he buried them doing it in the, there was a wee river. And when the couple, the couple had uh, this big estate, and see one of them was an MP, the Labrador dog used to go and sniff her, the, the, the body was buried and all that. And he killed another three people. So he, Archibald Toys never to get out. But the guy, when I met him, he was 70 years of age, and he was still a fit guy, and I'm saying, how do you know move him to a B cat? But eventually get moved to Kingston, a retirement home. I think he died in there. But uh, I got on with Archie well and uh, the IRA boys. So getting back to Alan Byrne. So we came after the visit and we were at the reception area and uh, an SO, a senior officer at the office went, Alan, here's a letter for you. And I uh, never thought nothing else. So went back to the cell. I was next door to Alan. And he shouted, Ian, Ian. And he says, what is it? He says, these cunts have only put another 10 years onto my sentence. And I says, what do you mean? He says, look, I've got a letter here, Michael Michael Howard. I think this was 94 or 95. Michael Howard with the Tories for, for being elected. He went on a stance, a crime and punishment. I'm going to think with prisons and all that carry on and be more severe with punishment for the courts. So that was his kind of a stance, and he did. He made a lot of changes. So he took it upon himself. The letter was signed with Michael Howard. I've reviewed your case, and I think 20 years isn't enough. Mm. Who the fuck does he think he is? Know what I mean? Does he think he's a high court judge or something? He's just gave the guy 10 years. So he went like that to me, ordered me a booze. Started running, the IRA boys came in, John, uh, Harry. And Shuggy, and we're all going. Look, this, this is, this can't, this can't be allowed. This is against your uh, human rights and things. So Alan always had a wee party piece. As I say, the screws were relaxed. As long as you think they knew we're drinking all that, smoking hash. But as long as you're relaxed, to try to escape, that was it. So Alan used to always sing, "I did it my way." Up. So for a couple of months, they put on a brave face, and uh, then Alan get moved to. Franklin Prison, which is up in Durham near Newcastle. It's another high security prison. And uh, so what filtered through to us, Alan's at cancer, testicular cancer. And I went, for fuck's sake, I says, he's only got that other 10 years now, he's at cancer, but this story's got a good ending to it. And I'd have put it in my book but I'll explain to you in a minute I thought Alan was still on the run so anyway Alan's went to he's still cat A he's went to hospital about three times and he's overheard the nurse saying 10 o'clock say Friday morning so Alan had that such good pals in London he's arranged a visit and he says fuck this I'm not doing this other 10 years quite rightly so it was illegal so they turned up to hospital 
Sean. And uh, they've come out the van. And as far as I understand, two guys jumped out of bushes, shotgun, pistol, fired up there and went, fucking let him go. <laughs> right. So Alan, that's crazy or shit myself. I spoke to the prison officers years later and went back to me, Franklin. They went, never been so scared in all my oh, life. <laughs> so so we heard about it, me and uh, the IRA boys. There was no TVs for about seven years. Uh, I think we got the TVs about 97 or 98. This was around about 94. So there was a TV room. And so we just happened to be in the TV room. This happened. Me, me and all the boys. And it came on ITN News. It was the first thing that came up. Oh, there's been a dangerous uh, prisoner escaped. Got you know, two guns fired and blah, 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 blah. So, so Alan was on the run for... Uh, he was on the run for 12 years. Mm. And I didn't know just to... Just, just to last year, a year ago that Alan was back in custody. He actually had two children, by the way, since he was on the run. He was caught up in an international cocaine ring in Amsterdam, and he got eight years for that. So once he'd done the four years at the the 12, he was extradited back to England, and guess where they put him? Franklin. So I only found out about this about 14 months ago, that he was, he was in, and I sent him a wee card. Says it's seen here, blah 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 blah, and he was so happy to get this card. So writing in that, and uh, I put in because your category, you have to see the police. So I get summoned to a police station. Alan's requested me for a visitor because your category. So you have to go to these police stations. So I'm doing this police station, and uh, the coppers there and like that. I says, okay, then you ask Mr. Burnham, how did you meet him? I says, well, I never fucking met him, Sainsbury's in Birmingham. I says, I met him in fucking Long Latin and Phil Sutton Prison. I says, and I became a good pal he has. We had many, many good parties. <laughs> and uh, the police looked, he's like, ah, and uh, says, right, okay, then. And says, right, we'll be doing my report. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell them anything else. That's what I did meet him. So, and Alan just now as well, he's I think he's 68, he's in very poor health and he's got Parkinson's disease. I'm in touch with his daughter Haley. She she texts me and uh phoned her a couple of times. And uh she's she's up visiting him just now. So they knocked me back for the visit. So I've wrote a couple of letters to the governor and uh and I've says I've I've clearly stated in the letters. I says I think it's ridiculous. I'm not getting in to visit him. I says the guy's got Parkinson's disease. I says I'm out of crime. Okay, then I've done sixteen years down in England, but I'm out of crime. And uh, I'm saying because of the dishonourable. I says the dishonourable Michael Howard gave him this ten years, and it was quite cheeky letters I wrote right enough. And uh, and just now. That they won't even let me phone him. That's how bad it is. That he's requested it's like a pin system, and they've requested for me to phone him. Went no, can't phone him either. So yeah, in America, if you're in prison, um, former prisoners, you're not allowed to have contact with them. Yeah, yeah. But I've heard, I've heard on the fly that there is somebody. It's it's getting into visit visit them, but I don't want to. I don't want to really get the guy into trouble, but 
Somebody that's on the hand garden robbery. Yeah. <laughs> so, so and, you, I, and good, good luck to the guy for the hand garden robbery. He's up Van Zandt, but yeah. I've been knocked back. But uh, Alan's a dear friend, and uh, they're, they're not even set him off a category. He can't, he, he can't even put his shoes on or his trousers on or, mm. or nothing. In, but he's been back in Franklin now. He's been back here for about 10 years, so he has. Mm. And uh, he's, he's still fighting to try and get this and this unjustly 10 years off, get put on. Yeah, I can't believe a politician can just increase your sentence. Yeah, I know. I, know. Yeah. I couldn't believe that either. None of his kids. So how are you coming to terms then with your sentence My for the robbery? Yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, Sean, uh, I'd only done up to 18 months till I was 30, so 18 months, but you've done a year at it. I struggled with my first five years. I'm not ashamed to say that. But the reason I did struggle a lot, because every Friday and Saturday, I used to always think he'd been out in the nightclubs with my pals. I'd listen mm. to Pete, Pete Tong on, mm. on the radio then. That was a the big thing then, the Friday night. And... Uh, and a couple of the guys says to me a few years later, they says, listen, and they says, you, you, you think my life is inside here now? They says, can he think about outside all the time? So my mother and, my mother and sister came up to see me and, uh, and I went back to them. I says, right, that's me settled. And they went, what do you mean? I says, I got up, I got up in the morning, I go to my work, I go to the gym. I says, I have parties, this is my life. And my mum went, Fucking time as well, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I did. I, I found it hard, Sean. And uh, and the next, I was done in England just over. They kept me on category, right? See the category system. I'll get a bit about the because I I listened to one of your other podcasts, Pepsi, Pepsi, you and he was going on about the the young offenders. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm in the the, the category system. So they've got me in this category, and every year to get off category, it's just like getting up for parole. You, the, you get reports done in you, your behaviour and this and that, and it goes to a category, category review team in London, uh, where they're based, and they, they assess these reports, and it was coming back every year. No, 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 your behaviour's still this, but at the end you're still highly dangerous and but there was some guys after two or three years that killed two or three people and they just went, oh, you know, I've been to it off the cat, eh? And I'm still on it for fun. do got a penny. And... But I think, Sean, the reason they kept us on it so long was there was a... There was the planning for Glasgow to come all the way down to Torquay. The gun getting fired in the bank where they says this woman had been shot in the plaster. Try to get a gun smuggled into court. Uh, and were behaviour and all Barton prison officers and being in trouble. So after eight years, I still. So you can't you can't progress through the system. Uh, like say you want to try and get out a bit earlier. So if you're on category, you're stuck there. So eventually, my come up. I get took off it, and. Uh, I was like, ah, if that was eight years, two months, and or just just before that, I had one, I had a pro, I had my first parole interview, and uh, and I didn't have a clue about the pro system of that. So there was this guy John Bullivant for Birmingham, who was doing fifteen years, 
for a half million pound robbery. And he schooled me and went, look, they'll ask you this and ask you that. He'd done it 15 years before. So I wrote all these notes down and all that, saying, like, say this, say that, say that. So I went down to the office and uh, it was this woman. I found out that she was an assistant, she used to be an assistant chief constable uh, Leicestershire Police. Her name's Erica Norton. I looked her up the other day. She's an OBE. And she went, what's that paperwork? I went, oh, it's, she went, well, I'll take that then. And she went out of the office and uh, photocopied it. Oh, and I went, oh, why though? And I was raging. I said, she's going to see that I've done these notes. And, I, mm. I, and uh, so she spoke away to me and she says to me, this crime, but why did you do it and all that? I says, obviously I've done it for the money. She says, but I see that you've been convicted of jewellery hanging out. And she says... It was for greed, wasn't it? And I went, uh, I she says, greed, this was for greed. And I went, yes. She was like a battle axe. She was fearsome. But the woman, Gaira Jew, she was, uh, she, she never took any shit. She knew her stuff. And uh, and she just says that to me. So she says, what do you do in prison? And I, and I says, I can't go to the gym. And I says, I've learned to cook. Uh, I read a lot of books. And she went, oh, what are you reading at the moment? And I went, I can't know what to really say. And she went, no, tell me. She says, what? And at that moment, my, my boy, when I used to go on the phone, Sean, on the prison phone, and we'd only stay on the phone for about a minute. You know what young kids are like? And uh, and I says to this Erica Norton, I says, uh, I'm reading Harry Potter. It was the first book. I don't know if it was the Philosopher's Stone or that. It was the first book. It was his first book. And I used to, and I, and I told this this woman, Erica, I says, uh, I'm reading Harry Potter, and I read a chapter. I go on the phone, and I say to my boy, oh, what about this and that? And, that? and, he, and he'd speak to me for 10, 15 minutes, and she turned around and went, oh, I think that's great. She says, communicating with your son through the, the book. So, so she done the interview, and I went, I says to my pal, I went, oh, fucked it. I says, she took these notes, and went, what? <laughs> And some of them weren't in my writing and either. So she says in the report, she says, I, Mr. McDonald was coached and schooled for this parole interview. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she did mention about the the thing with interacting with my son through, through the book. And uh, But I get knocked back and uh, my other friend, it was there. See, before I did get knocked back, my other friend, my other co-accused, he was raised at the time. And uh, and everybody in the prison, they were all kind of excited. They were going, used to were going to get out, right? And I was going like, oh, no, nah, I don't think so. So this guy, uh, I think John Grovey's name was, he was a probation officer then. He came up to my cell uh, after I'd done all the reports and he says, you know, you think they're getting out of that? I says, no. He says, how no? I says, well, I, I, I just don't think I'll get it. And he says, listen, all your reports have all been good, have all been positive. He says, think of the outside world. So I went, oh. so I started thinking about getting it. So my other co-accused, he gets shouted down to the office this day. And he came back up, told him, oh, I've just been getting my parole. And this was the Monday. They're letting him out on the Friday. This was a uh, thing me. This was a way back in uh, 2000, the summer, it was a cracking scorching day. And uh, 
then mines came cup just before he got out mines came they never shouted me down to the office and paraded me and says oh good luck with your parole I was going to my work and the prison officer just went like that's similar thing with Alan oh there's a letter for you I went alright and I got to the work opened the letter you've been rejected for your parole this year and but I'd built myself up with a social worker saying that. So my, my pal that was getting out, <coughs> he came to me on the Friday. It was the summer of 2000. He'd been in nine years by then. And uh, he says to me, he says, ah, I don't want to really leave you. I says, look, just, just go and all that. He says, you, he says, you'll get it the next year. So I went down to the prison officers a couple of days later. And I says to them, I says, right, not back for this parole. I'm on Cat B now. I says, what's the chance of moving to a category C prison for rehabilitation? And they turned around and they says to me, you're not re rehabilitation uh, material. I looked at him and I went, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not. I says, well, I'm supposed to think me, get all this offending I've done, get it out of my system and be a member of the, the public and be straight. They went, no, your first few year, no, that you're in trouble, but the last few year, you've not. I says, and is that not the way it's supposed to work out? They went, look, Ian, we're telling you the room, we're not sending you anywhere. And I just says, right, send me to Scotland. And uh, that's what happened. But before that, there was uh, another instant where I spent three and a half months solitary. And I must say, I, I don't regret one bit of it for what we've done. It was an episode, this guy was there, and he was, he was a beast. He'd killed, he'd killed two women, and uh, his name was Paul Bostock, and uh, he was getting moved, he'd done about 10 years, and uh, he was getting moved to Gartree Prison, so he'd always, always thing me, his bags of stuff in his cell, he was down in the uh, landing, and uh, we get petrol arranged, we knew when he was moving in that, and uh, his cell get thing his cell get thing when it didn't freeze it was only a minute time scale and his cell got up and he came up and he's going ah and he was greeting and all that and the whole place got evacuated and uh, we thing made me and this other guy Mickey Faye Corby we, 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 we get picked up for this and we spent three and a half months in the solitary but this guy killed this woman and uh, this young girl and uh, and the second the second one it's been in books about the guy and uh, it says he saw this lassie wearing red shoes and he killed her <laughs> no he's a, he's a sick individual and uh, so when his cell was up blazing or all that we were, we were blazing as well blazing with happiness because all his forties and all his possessions were all burnt so we, we were in there uh, thing me for that so there's a convict code then of people who uh, kill, rape women. And what, what did that happen much in there? Well, see, see, long, see, long Latin uh, prison to, to explain it fully. It was a kind of, even though it was a top security prison, but it was a relaxed prison. But I didn't you know this for a couple, say a couple of months from in there. They were putting people in there for sex offences and mm. mingling about you. Mm. And the rule, the golden rule was don't touch them. Mm. Whereas I was in Phil Sutton and Franklin, they had a separate wing yeah. for them. And uh, Why was the golden rule don't touch them? 
the golden rule is don't touch them or we'll take your booze and your parties away. And it was a relaxed, it was a very relaxed regime. The guards would come back. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so that that was the kind. Of, I, I was kind of a mystified with that how these people were mingling. There was a lot of them, yeah. but this boy stalk never get touched. And he was he was a bad sick bastard. So he was for doing that to, yeah. to the two girls. But uh, that was. That was back in '97. Did you come across the craze as well at some point? Yeah, but what happened was uh, Charlie Craig at 12 years, and he ended up next door to me. Yeah, and uh, everybody was like, "Oh, one of the craze and that," and uh, I got talking away to him and all that, and I asked him, "Did he know this? this bring me figure up in Glasgow, the Godfather, Glasgow at the time." I was reading about him in your book. Yeah, yeah. So I see somebody says, "Of course I know him." He says the twins knew him uh, very well. He says he would come down and uh, work for them and they would go up and uh, work for them. I never went into the details. So Charlie came across as quite a good a good guy. He says to me, he says, well, he got 10 years when they got their, their life. And uh, when he got out, he says everybody used to come up to him, oh, how's the brother? So he told me a few stories. He says he went to QA2 for a cruise. He says there was a couple of famous actors and that, but everybody ran to Charlie Cray. Can I get your autograph, Mr. Cray? <laughs> how's, how's the twins? <laughs> and uh, and he would tell me stories. And uh, he says, you'll meet Reggie. Reggie was coming to the final thing with his sentence. It was, it was an, old, an old man then. Mm. I think he was doing in Norwich at the time. And he was coming for a week for visits. They had allowed that. So he says, oh, you'll meet Reggie. And I went, this will be great. And Eddie Richardson... He was another great pal of mine, fair in there. He was in the food boat with me and Ronnie Sullivan and that. That was the snooker player's dad. Mm. Uh, Eddie Richardson, uh, we were in the food boat and he was in the other landing. And there was a story about, uh, I'll get back to crazy in a minute, but there was a story about Eddie. We're sitting and uh, and he says to me, you're still a young man. I went in at fairly expecting you at about 40, which I did, I've been 10 and a half year. And uh, he says, what are you going to do? He goes, just hurrying it to, to 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 go quick to get it. He says, "Why don't you take up skiing?" I went skiing. I says, "That's fucking too dangerous." He went, "No." He says, "And Ed, Ed, Eddie, he get his sentence. He said, Eddie get a what sentence did he get? Eddie got twenty. I think it was twenty two years or something for what? For for a hundred and fifty kilo of cocaine." Mm. It was a big sentence he got at 54 years of age. And uh, he says, no, he says, up to uh, before I get out, I went skiing. He says, you can still get a suntan. And I just I just thought it was a strange a strange thing, he says. But getting back to the craze, uh, I says, I said, and everybody was all kind of a talking, saying, oh, this is going to be great, this. You're going to have the two craze in this section and you're going to have Eddie Richardson because there was a rivalry years ago but time time had moved on and uh, so Reggie came to the, the next one trapped the door after about a day trapped the door and Charlie was there and we had finger with Reggie and he went oh Charlie's told me all about you for Glasgow and he shook my hand and I glad to meet you and I, I think I washed my hand for a week after it because <laughs> <laughs> everybody was all fascinated yeah. the fascination still was still there yeah so I, I I I just couldn't believe that I met him, even though he was an older guy and he was coming to the end of his sentence. So 
they were walking around the yard and all that and everybody used to go like fuck up with some 40 they free because uh, they were talking Eddie Richardson and the guys were talking then and uh, so I says to Charlie uh, to Reggie Cray I was sitting one day having a cup of tea and I says me and you me and you have got something in common and he says what's that in? I says we're mammy's boys and he went well, I says, I, I says, I've read all the stories about your mother Violet. You used to all go up the stairs for tea and all that. You don't get tea. And he says, I, that's right, and that. So, so that 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 was that was me meeting the craze, Eddie Richardson. I actually went to see Eddie Richardson uh, about fifteen years ago, and I rushed up the road. I was going to this Archie's nightclub at the time. I was. Taking Ekkies and all that, know what I mean? Yeah, I know you've took them yourself. I know you. I know your story, Sean. You know oh. what I mean? <laughs> you get six years in Arizona and uh, mm. and the Sammy Bull hanging all that, and I, f- I found it fascinating. I wrote, I read your first three books, The Hard Time, The Prison Time, but yeah. I see you've got the one, the two Tonys you'd mentioned, Damon. I brought you a copy. Of oh, have you brought me a copy, yeah, brilliant? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I've saw you've done one with Pablo Escobar. You've done great, mate. He was a mama's boy, Escobar. His mama even said he had mamaitis. Oh, see the Pablo Escobar thing. I just watched it on Netflix here. It was about ninety episodes, and it was subtitles, and I could have watched another hundred here. El Patron I'm de fa- Mal, fa- yeah, Lord I, of Evil. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. with that. But uh, I read. Can I can I show you something? Yeah, go for it. Uh, <laughs> no, your books and that, and I, and I find it fascinating when thing me. You were a stockbroker. You were doing well, and you get into the the the, the e scene and that. Yeah, and. Uh, you were getting on protein you were doing well and yeah. but, but but the bit that fascinates me is the the Sammy Bull Gravano. Yeah. He's supposed to be in witness protection. Yeah. And is it no be, being that he was running a, a, a another crime gang or something? So they gave Sammy the ball a pass to testify against John Gotti. Right. They put him in witness protection in Tempe, Arizona. Which was like the the party central place where I had my uh, best mate Wildman living, yeah. and we um, set up this ecstasy ring. Well, we, we got in there before the bulldog, and we like locked down the local scene. We were involved yeah. the local people. They supported us, provided information. That's how I built my bouncers. And then all of a sudden, these steroid head jock <laughs> characters start popping up selling pills, and we're like, who the fuck? Who the fuck are these guys? Then, uh, but it got heavy because, you know, he didn't have the Gambino crime family behind him at this point, right. but he did have these big steroid head white supremacist guys called the Devil Dogs, right. who would beat people up and and yelp like dogs while they uh, brutalized people, and some of his crew lured my top sales guy Skinner to a nightclub in Scottsdale, saying they were going to do a deal. Yeah. Took him to the, the men's room and knocked his teeth out and um, took all of his money and took all of his drugs. And I was thinking earlier on when you were on about getting paranoid and everyone's against you and the gangster threat and all this. Yeah, yeah. And the guns, like guns are legal in Arizona. And I was, I had a concealed weapons permit, trained to shoot by the police to yeah. kill a home intruder, you know, uh, put two in the chest, one in the nose, whatever. Um, so when all this was kicking off with Sammy the Bulls crew, like you said, you had these gangster rivals. Yeah, I had this big bed and I had a, I had a shotgun fully loaded, ready to go. And either side of the bed, I moved a hundred miles away from Phoenix to Tucson in this gated guarded community. Hopefully they couldn't get up the street, but if they did, I had, you know, I had these two guns. But the bull, you know, he was still um, in his attitude was they've put me in witness protection. I'm not going to go out there. 
laying low with some phony beard on. If they're going to come for me, they're going to come for me and I'm ready. And he had, I had, he had all these booby traps right. in his house. Right. And he, he, was, he was good to go. And actually the day he was arrested, the feds actually saved his life because the Gotti crew were in town with a bomb and surveillance. Did you know where he was? Oh, there? they were watching. They were about right. to take him out. Right. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And that's the thing with those guys, you know, for the rest right. of their lives now. Um, I, f- I found it. I found it fascinating. This guy he admitted nineteen murders, and he, he ratted. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He ratted on John Gotti, which yeah. shows a liberty. So it was. Yeah. And because I'm criminal minded, and uh, no, the, the, the guy was just a rat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and I found it amazing that he was still operating and all that. And, yeah. And but you say he was ready to get took it because am I right in saying that he got another sentence? He got. See, see, see when, see when he got out for the uh, thing, me informing snitching on John Gotti, yeah, in the Arizona thing, he got he got another sentence, didn't he, for the ecstasy thing? All right, so he was the head of the ecstasy conspiracy. Right, I can't remember whether he got fifteen or twenty years or somewhere yeah, in that he did, range. He did get a big sentence, aye. Yeah, the son got slightly more than me, I think, and. Um, what they did was in their plea agreement, they let the they they agreed to let the women off right. if the men would would take the fall for it. Something like that. That was part of it, I think. Right. Um, Fifty seven people, I believe, were arrested in the case, and they all agreed to testify against and cooperate with the authorities. Right. In mine, over a hundred arrested. Only four agreed to cooperate. Um, everybody stood really tight, right. and there was a point where when we were going court. I don't know whether the guards were taking the piss or what, but I don't know if you've seen any of my videos on YouTube with Wild Man. He was yeah, on my dance. Yeah, yeah, Wild Man's. He's, 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 he's like one this of the big, favorite he's characters. This big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. The guards actually chained yeah. Sammy the Bull's son to Wild Man <laughs> when we were all going court, and um, Wild Man was like, you know, because 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 we had this war going before, but we was like, once we're in there, there's no point in doing that because we were all trying to. Do everything we possibly could to beat our case. But so see we, the wild man. I think they get see see the the way my perception. He doesn't give two fucks. No, he doesn't. No, he, he doesn't give two fucks. He doesn't give two fucks. But I could, <laughs> I could guide him um, when there were major issues arising. He would, right. he would listen. I was one of the few people he would listen to. Yeah. So what we did was we sat down with Sammy the Bullson. We were well. Wildman was cuffed to him. He had no choice. So. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> He basically, because their ecstasy case was running a couple of years before mine, right. he was giving us a load of information of what what could possibly happen next. Right. So we got a lot of good information out of him that night in the holding cell. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Well, crazy. they went to Hollywood, didn't they? Karen Gravano is the star of Mob Wives. Mob Wives, I know. Yeah, so they're, know. they're, they're legit. Yeah. Um, I have been in contact with... Gerard Gravano on email and that you know there's no there's no there's no I issues saw, there. I saw something in YouTube about uh, uh, John Gotti Jr. Yeah, and and they, they gave him a lot of hard time, so they did. And uh, he, his dad get put in the supermax, and he never saw anybody for ten years get the the cancer and that. Yeah, and he was allowed to visit with him and that. Yeah, so I was watching that. That was the supermax in the federal supermax in Colorado. Ah, Colorado, the, 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 it's the highest level one. And it's, yeah, you don't see yeah. anybody or nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, they very rarely get yeah. get to see anything but in there. That that Sammy the Bull, I just thought he was a dirty snitch. You know what I mean? For the yeah, uh, yeah, he was the highest ranking member yeah. of the mafia 
to turn informant at that point in time. And a lot of people then thought, right, well, if the ball's gonna snitch, we're gonna snitch. Yeah. And a lot of people ended up getting life sentences. And that's yeah. why people are still inside now because of what he said. So they're gonna be looking over their shoulders for the rest of their lives. You saw what happened with Whitey Bulger. Hi. She just done her man then. Yeah. She came in. Yeah. He was sitting in a wheelchair and even though he was Eighty odds to get done. Yeah, moved to another facility, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, they just done him. Written it was a guy for the mafia that done that. Well, that's it. I yeah. mean, he he fed I've information to the FBI well. about Aye, the mafia. He's for years, and his his uh, brother was a mayor or yeah, something well, like that as well. Yeah. So all that time he had his crime empire. He was getting info, yeah, people, yeah, and. Uh, and it's not too late to get to get killed. To get killed, what he was eighty-eight. You never know why that stuff's going to catch up. Yeah, you. I know. Like you mentioned um, about you know the Americans watching my YouTube channel. A yeah. lot of my young people, and the, the most watched rapper right now that for the young people. I don't know if you're familiar. This guy called Takashi Six Nine. He's in the two winner. He's got the rainbow colored hair. Yeah, and he has just agreed um, to cooperate against the. The Nine Trey Blood Gang, which yeah, was a, started out of the prison system in in yeah. uh, in because um, this guy was going to become really really famous. That's right, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Nah, he knew he's in the jail, but now he he will be looking over his shoulder like so the ball, him, is it? or yeah. like like Bulger for the rest of his life. They're saying they're going to put him in witness protection. This rapper, and he's got <laughs> oh, he's got all these he's got six, he's got know. six nine on his face. So so um, it's not going to be hard to find him walking in the street, is it? It's not going to be hard to find him, and I think also they'll they'll go after his family and his loved ones and stuff like that right now because he's not right. actually got up in court and testified right. yet. Yeah. But in his plea bargain, he's, he's saying, "Look, if you guys will drop all of the charges against me, yeah. I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you the goods on all these guys." Yeah. But it's it, you might think that's going to be an easy ride, but it's not going to be an easy ride. Is it fucked? Is it fucked? He's fucked, isn't he? That high, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, so his, he his music career. How is he? You know, but maybe they can cash in and say he's the, he's the guy that can't ever do a concert again because the hitmen are going to come <laughs> and get him or whatever. Yeah, but, but uh, no, it's, yeah, it's he. It's he's uh, up in Glasgow just now. Showing uh, it's uh, it's like the wild west. There's all sorts of things with unsolved shootings and stabbings and slashings. Yeah, and running amok. I think it's yeah. the same in Liverpool everywhere just now. Uh, people oh, the, see all oh, the young the, the young team that they just don't give a fuck they just they just don't but in my days when I was younger we were wild but uh, you get shot you get shot for the slightest thing there well a lot of it them. is driven by they made drugs illegal and create this huge black market and a lot of it's now they're fighting over that black market that, profits that, that, that's what it is that's taking over the entire is. world it is about the, the, the yeah. drugs and that so it is yeah. it is so can I get back to see when Seeing I was coming to the end of my sentence. Yeah. So before you get to any sense of I've just got yeah. a quick question. Yeah. I think people will be fascinated. What are the difference between cat A, cat B, and cat C prisons that you experience? And that's I imagine that's the equivalent to like maximum security, medium security, and minimum security, maybe. Yeah. Can you ex expand on that? What the difference are in the privileges and how how often you get out of your cell? Um, well, well, visitations, you get more visits, well, things like well, that. We'll see Cat A, uh, Sean. A lot of people think that Cat, Cat A prisoners are locked up 23 years a day. Right. They're no. Okay. See, when you're in the dispersal system, you're still mingling about with the prisoners. You can go into a day room. See, I see about 30 years ago, they would put your light on every hour and all that. That doesn't happen now. Wake what I mean? up in the night. Because uh, that's a form of torture. They don't, yeah. they don't do that now, right? So when I was in, 
Catty uh, was just the, the the main thing was you couldn't you couldn't get through the system. Yeah, you, you, you couldn't progress. T cat B, T cat C, mm-hmm. but uh, you you were you were still you were still say you you were in and you were cat B, you were next door to me. You still had the same privileges and whatever. But mm-hmm. the big thing was uh, people were vetted for visits and things like that. Visits is less. I couldn't I couldn't get everybody in. You, you could get people in, and uh, so 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 that was it. And, and in England, apart from Scotland. England, you can cook all your own foods. You've, okay. got, you've got fridges, freezers. You can go to the canteen. That's a shop, and you can buy uh, any sort of a herb, vegetables, uh, fruit, mince, steaks, black forest gattles, ice cream, and you had people there for China, India, Italy, all over the world, and some of the meals I tasted in there. Or cordon blue. There was a guy, <laughs> David Poole. Uh, David David was in a thing with one of the prisons, and he was a Knightsbridge robber. And uh, it was it was done with an Italian guy. And I think he ended up getting shot in Italy once he got released. But they they took fortunes out of that. Well, D- David 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 uh, pulled some of the, the the meals he made. He could have been a cordon blue chef on Master Chef, so he could have. So it wasn't it just all. Doom and gloom, uh, doom and gloom. Sorry, I, I'd, I'd quite after the five year period of thing with, and actually took ecstasy in the prison as well. Uh, and so people, I once sold ecstasy to prison guards who were bringing it into the prison for the prisoners. You know? yeah. yeah. So, so this guy Mal from Manchester was coming up, and uh, and he was giving me these tablets. So I had this thing with my pals. It was fours. So on a Friday, you could wear all your own clothes and all that. We'd all be running about like we schoolboys and that. Saying we're taking an ecky the night. And this is in a top security prison in full sitting. So we, uh, we, 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 were, we were cleaners on the wings. So we'd done the cleaning and cooked for foods. And we had pasta and all that. People were like, we had pasta for all good. have a lot of energy the night. For, I think they thought you were going to be a bird or something, a girlfriend. So now what it was, so. We, we'd have everything done for four o'clock we'd eat for dinner and you get banged up for five to six for the thing with the screws and the officers to go for their dinner so we'd go out with ecstasy about ten to five boom 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 so I'd get into my cell and I had a big ghetto blaster no TVs or that at the time and uh, I'd have all the thing with all the rave tunes on and that and uh, ride on time, chicken black box, pump up the jam, uh, take the chronic, everything mm-hmm. on. And, uh, and after about half an hour, these things were powerful, and you'd be like, see the fog. <laughs> so, see the time the door was opened at six o'clock. I'd my pals in the corner with the IRA boys and that. Or I'd run round the corner, and the screws would be like, oh, for fuck's sake. There was no <laughs> drug testing at the time. And, uh, and uh, I would go like, ah, did you see the fog? Did you see? Did you... Is it hot? And they're going fuck. <laughs> so they would get into my cell, and we'd sit there. There would be no booze. I'm saying no booze as if we were in the Hilton or something. But there would be no hooch and we'd cans of iron brew and cans of coke and uh, tea. And that and there was a wee exercise yard in full satin for the, each of the wings. And we go out there and have a walk and all that, and we'd be buzzing. God, it's fucking great. But all the other prisoners are looking at us, think we're fucking start raving maniacs, saying, "How the fuck can you take an ecstasy pill <laughs> in prison?" 
So to me, it was a release for me. Yeah. And even though you're only in a, a, a resale, people, I couldn't do that. It'd be too claustrophobic. Be too this. Be too that. And I and I would come in the next time to have the the, the, the music pumped up. I'd have a ghetto blaster. And about one o'clock in the morning, everybody's like, ah, no, I mean, fucking guys from London, I'd kill you. So then I'd turn it down. So they used to go like that. The next one is Saturday, Friday. And the Saturday, all the wings went to a football field and congregated. And they were going, oh, he was on the Eckies last night and all that. And they're going, how can you take it? And I'm going, oh, fucking easy. It's great. I said, I'm still buzzing. And uh, I'm saying to a guy, saying to these guys, this day, I was up in the tunnel last night, mate. They went, but the Dartford tunnel? I went, no, a tunnel, the tunnel's a nightclub in Glasgow. I says, I used to go to it before I get thing there, uh, arrested. And uh, But th then they'd go like that, going to give you when you're taking another ecky or the guys in the wing. <laughs> but it was, it was good. In terms, you touched on there about going past the fitness place. In the different security levels, what access did you have to fitness equipment or we, weights we, or anything? Plenty. See, see Even the, in the maximum? Yeah, see the maximum with plenty to show and write. Yeah. As, as I keep saying, uh, the security was paramount. You don't, you don't escape. We had a well-stocked gymnasium. We, I was on the own machine. Yeah. And uh, I could do 10,000 metres, four, four minutes a thousand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I concentrated mostly cardiovascular, but, but there was weights, bikes, uh, own machines, uh, there was badminton, uh, soft tennis, so so there was everything. And, and, and uh, in maximum security, how often could you access that? Could, could you could go see see at the beginning? Mm. I could go two or three times a day. Two or three times so, a day. Sean, it's, like an not, hour or something. You're not just see like American. You're yeah. not just locked in the cell. I see. A lot a lot of people have got the perception that a category A prisoner is locked in the cell yeah, twenty three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But seeing Belmarshina and uh, like say stuff you could be you locked up a bit longer there but see once you go to serve your time yeah like Sir Phil Sutton Franklin's uh Parkhurst uh Long Larton all these places you, 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 you were kind of a set free yeah you, you were just you, you, were, you were next door to people it was cat being at yeah and uh but and you were cat it didn't, it didn't make much of a difference it was it made the difference try to get released so it did and what about what security level have you got to be in to have a contact visit where you can actually hug your woman in the visit room and sit at a table well well see seeing a cat a thing me you could do that anyway you can do that in cat a yeah wow yeah you so could do different. that no you could do that but see at the beginning uh 1991 92 can, can you believe there was no cameras in the visit rooms no cameras so listen to this there was guys there was guys sitting yeah right these guys would sit, you could, you, the prison gave you these big coats to go to uh, exercise and that. And uh, there was some guys sitting having wife, uh, having, having sex with their wives and that. Yeah. And uh, and I was getting uh, booze smuggled in. My mm -hmm. brother Gary, he used to come in with half bottles of vodka and that, taped him and that. And he'd uh, me to have a drink on the visit. He'd do things like that and he'd bring me hash and that in as well. But no, there was there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of restrictions in the, the gym. The gym, the gyms are all fantastic. And all that. Did you have a fitness routine that you did? Yeah, well, I used I used to do the see at the beginning. I couldn't play that soft tennis or badminton. After about six years, I was a Scottish internationalist. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play a guy Mickey Gillette for Preston. 
but he 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 beat me. He was a he was a gym pa pass man. I actually met Mickey up in Blackpool. I was at the Pleasure Beach about six years ago. The guys went, Ian, I went, is that? And I went, fuck it, how you doing, Mick? And uh, he, he was a great guy. But in the, the prison, I, I had a kind of a, I used to go, I used to do running as well. You could run out in the, you could run out in the fields. See, in the summer, you had field nights and you could go out on a Monday, Wednesday and a Saturday. I used to go out and run about eight mile. And uh, I was mostly into cardiovascular and uh, I learnt the road machine. That was good. That that does everybody your body and uh, the bikes. And when I'd done weights, I can say I wasn't a, a heavy weightlifter. I was only lifting 80, 90 kilo. And then I was doing lightweights just, just to keep myself fit. Whereas there was other guys pushing 200 and nearly breaking their back. Mm. But I was, I was never into the, the, the heavyweights. But uh, uh, you were allowed to go to the gym quite a lot. Did they have boxing rings? No, but they had boxing matches. Yeah. They had square goals. So right. they did down at the gym. Yeah. Where it, where it, where it be organised. Somebody, it happened really, but somebody would say, right, you're doing the gym on Saturday and get into this room and we'll sort this out. Yeah. And there was one occasion, my pal Warren Slaney, we were up in uh, Franklin and there was this guy, uh, Warren Warren and who's still in we came a good pals anyway Warren's in for killing two two people in Leicestershire it was called the Hamburger Wars and uh, he's still at 40 grand or something but Warren's still protesting he's innocent in it innocent's just now he's running about 25 years at least and uh, he could box and so we were up in Franklin's and uh there was this guy and they were telling me the cooking so the, the, the yardies a lot of yardies and that so they used to get into the, the we had a kind of routine where they would get into their cooking first they, they would be making jerk chicken black eyed peas and all of that and I became a lover of that I liked that so I did and I used to say I'm going to make me that with your chicken and black eyed peas and that and uh, so Warren was in the kitchen in Franklin and he was arguing with this guy the guy was about 22 stone a yard and he was in, he was in for 50 kilo of coke or something he's in it 25 years so it had an argument people kind of broke it up and weren't shouting and so they arranged a square goal a fighting match in the gym and I went Phew. I said I think if Kim Warner's met his match here Warren knocked fuck at him did he? Warren knocked fuck at him how long did it last? about 3 or 4 minutes really? and Warren had to get dragged after the guy he fucking he was kicking his head and everything yeah no it's there's there's a lot See, no, 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 what I liked about the Londoners and things like that, right? They're all in the in the prison. They're all health mo motivated. Mm. They, they, they go, they, they treat 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 the prisons as a health centre. Yeah, and and they, they eat properly. You know, I used to drink loads of iron brew and all that, and I used to take sugar in my tea, mm. and uh, I stopped doing that and started drinking loads of water. I still do that to this day. Yeah, and uh, no sugar in my tea and. They, 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 they treated it as a they're very courteous to the staff mm -hmm. the Londoners and that and this is guys doing 20 years 25 years for heavy drug charges and armed robberies and things like that guy from Brinks Mark was in another gentleman and Mickey and, uh, so they were always polite to the officers but see if anybody started on them mm -hmm. Sean they would get one warning 
maybe treat them waste because they don't want trouble. They want you just do their time mm -hmm. and get out. Yeah. But see, thing me, what would they would do? Guy would be in the pool room, couple of thing me, couple of things in a sock, mm -hmm. and just kind of smash fuck out the guy in the pool room. Yeah. But you would always get a warning. Now people just just jump in. Mm -hmm. They were very polite, and courteous. The the Londoners. Did anyone try you? Well, did I did I tell you about the the, the fight? Which one? Did I tell you about the fight where I get my dislocated shoulder? Did no, I get into that one? You gave me some last night, but you've not discussed it today. Have I not did it, discussed yeah. it when I was with yeah. a guy, Perry Worry? He was in for uh, killing a cop. Uh, and my guy, Charlie McGee, and guy, Harley. They were in London and uh, they were doing a bank and they came out the bank and uh, an off duty copper got shot. So I became pals with. Perry and I was up in Franklin's and I was there for a few months I think it was 96 and uh, they moved me they just moved me for four months I found out later they didn't want me to be in the same hall as my true thing they were the same wing as my true coaches so I arrived I think it was a Tuesday or something in Long Larton I'd been there before and uh, Perry and I was there in Billy the Fish from Manchester and well, he was doing the bottom flat. So they says to his look, Ian, this is going to be a wee party for you on Friday. Where he says, I'm getting a bit of puffing at him. It's cannabis. And uh, Billy, he, he he always made drink. So I says, I'll look forward to Friday then. So we went to sell on the Friday and uh, sitting there and just ch chatting away. So this guy comes in and uh, he went like that. So he says to Billy the Fish, he says, is there any extra drink there? Meaning the hooch? And he says, no, mate. He says, I think we've only got enough for sale. And he went, all right, they bother, blah, 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 blah. And uh, then, he, then he kind of says something cheeky. And I, I didn't know who he was. And I just stood up and I went, here, mate. I says, get to fuck out of the sale. I says, you're not my cruiser. I didn't even know what a cruiser was myself then. <laughs> I just thought cruising, cruising for booze. Mm -hmm. And he, he looked at me as if he was going to punch me and I just went out with the door. So Perry and Billy went, by the way, he's a fucking bit of a madman. They were calling him Mad Dog. And there was another a guy called Mad Dog up in Scotland. And this guy was called... I says, fuck him. I says, I'm not going to fuck. I had a Rangers top on. You could wear all your own stuff. So... Uh, so about an hour later, you know, half later, it was it was near the end of the it was near the end of the association period. It was about quarter to nine, ten to nine. Fucking door flies open, and this mad dog guy goes like me, "You, you fucking bastard!" And they try to punch me, but he missed me. So Perry's jumped up, Billy's jumped up, and before you know it, we're in the bottom landing, and uh, Long Larton and this top security neck, and we're all fine like fuck, but we were using jam jars, you know, for the drink. And uh, I kept running at these jam jars and I was running out and I was smashing where this fucking mad dog scene. That then I slipped and he was tight to fucking get me. And I slipped through all the booze and fuck knows what. And the bells were going off and all that, the alarms. And uh, and before the screws rushed in, I've slipped in the flare with the floor. And uh, he's took a run at me and he was going to kick me in the face. And I really up so. And he's fucking kicked my finger. Uh, my shoulder so before the screws come in I get pulled into a cell with a couple of guys and, uh, and I was like oh, fuck I think my arm's broke 
and he went, ah, oh, you're probably right. But, but the screws knew I was in there, so they came in. So, so I say, it was a Friday night, so they went like, right, come on, we know you're involved. So I was the last person to, to get up to the surgery unit, and the other screws were all lined up in the, in the wing and up the hall, and all the way up to surgery. Unit. And I was walking all the way up like that. <laughs> and they went, and I could hear all the screws going, fucking hell, that was some fight, that. Sixes, so I've got up there and they've put me in the same room as Billy the Fish and uh, Perry. Perry had a couple of teeth out and uh, Billy had cut head, but they had a bit of damage to them. The other people they were kept apart. So Billy and uh, Billy and Perry get dealt with an hour or two later and they were away. So I'm still sitting there and, and they're waiting and a doctor coming in to see me. And I heard them all kind of going like, ah, oh, we should be in the fucking social club. The, the prison officers are right to go for a drink on a Friday night and they've got a social club next to the prison. So they came to me and it, it, their attitude was kind of a, oh, just say he's all right and fuck it. But I says, no, that went the full, the full treatment was wrong because it was really, really killing me. Even though I took hash and drink and... Uh, so the doctor went like that. So they tried to cut my toe and I went, yeah, you're not cutting that, it's a ranger's toe. <laughs> so, so they pulled it off us and they were laughing and the doctor went like that. He says, no, he says, he needs to go to hospital. He says, you've dislocated your shoulder. I didn't really know what that was, but sure, it's... I, I think you're better getting your arm broke because mm. a dislocated shoulder is sore. So I'm waiting and waiting and I'm going, fucking it. And the drink's kind of aware now and the hash and that. And I'm saying, what the fuck's keeping them? So I get took, I get took down to the, the gate, get put into the prison van, I'm a cat A. And the next minute there's fucking sirens and all that. And they've took me around police, they've took me to Redditch, that's what it was. They took me to what Worcestershire Redditch Hospital. And when I got out of the van, there was it was a it was a mad scene for me, because I'm going, Oh, this for me. And uh country machine guns and hats and all that so I was still cuffed and I get put under in the Pult Marman so I get took back to the prison and they put me into the block and Perry was in there and other people in another bit and I uh, shouting out the window and I says oh Perry I says I've got thing me a dislocated shoulder and I've got this slinging out on and uh, and it was wasn't it a couple of days later I found out what the problem was why they were taking so long to take me to the hospital they had a they had a chief constable talking to a governor at the gate of the prison saying should we take Ian MacDonald just in the ordinary van or should it be an armed convoy and because I'd only arrived three days they thought I was trying to escape but see to tell you the truth see if I could have escaped I wouldn't have because I was such pain in my arm so that that that's why that happened. But a couple of days after that, they put they put me and Perry back in the wing and kept these other guys because Perry was well respected. No, the other guys are going like, going to fucking kill these cunts and all that. So I thought nothing else was happening there. But then my door opened, and uh, and the screws were over shields. They're like, right, come on, get up. You're moving, and I'm, I've got, I've got my sling on my thing there. So they took me to the block, and I thought I was just going into the block, but there was a governor there, and he says to me, uh, you're going, he didn't tell me where I was going, he says, you've been placed on GOAD, 
and in England that means good order and discipline. Mm. What the days they can put you to another prison for a month and then bring you back. Mm. So the so the, they took me to Belmarsh and uh they put me I wasn't in this high security unit, I was in the ordinary prison, but they put me in the block there. And the next morning, screws have come in, took my matches. I says, We need to I says, Oh, this is the rules and then the next morning, two prison officers came in and they went, I think he needs a shave. I'm 35, 36 years of age. It's in Boston, things like that, you maybe get told to have a shave of detention. And, I, and they say, see, have a sh I says, I'm not having a shave. I says, I'm not a wee boy. They says, well, Rangers and Celtic are playing tonight and see that radio sitting there. See if you don't take a shave. They says, well, take your radio. I says, I ain't no bother. So I went out to exercise and I came back, my fucking radio was away. Mm. Dirty bastards took my radio. I only wanted to listen to the football. Mm. I think I'd been about six years at the time and and I used to listen to Five Live and it was a football. And uh, so I was shouting out the window and all of that. Anybody tell me the thing that the score of Rangers and Selly? They're shouting, shut up, you Scottish bastard, and all that. <laughs> so they were playing wee games there as well. Yeah. And they, 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 and they were fucking uh, putting my hat shut and banging the door and all that. Mm. So I was there for a month and uh, I get took back to Long Latin, so I did. But I have I've saw I've saw a lot of I've saw a lot of violent incidents. I've I have actually I've actually found two people dead, Sean. Found them dead. Found what them dead and uh, they've hanged themselves. One story or that's two stories? No, two two, two separate, separate stories, yeah. What was the circumstances around them? Well, the first story there was a guy for Liverpool and uh, Jimmy Collinwood his name was and he was across from me and Phil Satin and uh, when I told you you'd locked up for five to six o'clock bang up and you could put a wedge in your door people could put a wee thing with a wee wedge and it couldn't get, get right open so they couldn't really get his door open then uh, and we, 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 we managed to shove his door open me and a pal but I, I always imagine somebody is hanging, is, is hanging through the bars or something. But Jimmy was sitting on his chair and he was hanging back like this and he had a wire. I couldn't see it because it was dark. He had a wire thing made, noose on his neck, onto the bar and he was slipping down and, and pulling himself. Yeah. So that night I get drunk <laughs> and I've, I've shouted out the window and I'm shouting, they fucking killed him. I says, I never saw any. I says, he wasn't hanging up. So the prison, the prison officers uh, came to me the next day and they took me down to the block. They says, listen, you're shouting he's been murdered. He's not been murdered. They says, we know Ian, it sounds a bit thing was strange. He was sitting on a chair. They says, but he had a, a noose on him. And I went, and I says, well, I thought if you hung yourself, you, you were hanging for bars or that. And uh, they put they issued letters and they put it through all the, the doors and all of that. And uh, two days later, this this quite decent governor came to me, and he says to he says, look, Ian, he says, I know you're upset and all of that with, with Jimmy and that and what's happened, and you have been shouting out your window, we've killed him. He says, but we're going to put you back to your cell, and. Uh, and it was a Friday and I was like, oh, the boys are having a party and I a drink anyway. And I says, I says, I says, are you okay then? They says, but keep 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 your keep your thing, man. Thoughts to yourself, you know what I mean? Because there was an inquest and I went to the inquest. It was in the hill, mm -hmm. so it was. 
and uh, it all came, all the details and that came out. What about the other it, one it did, you found? It did. Oh, this this was in another prison, and uh, I I never actually found it. That this person, I was I was just round the corner, and uh, and there was another guy, guy fairly odds, and people were like, "Oh, somebody's fucked." And I went running, but I never went into the cell. But I, I knew the guy, you know what I mean? But I, I don't want to mention his name. And it was just tragic, so it was. And we hear that. Another suicide? Yeah, that, that was another suicide. And I, I'd like to speak about Paul Jimmy, Jimmy Collingwood. I think a lot to, it was today with Smack, and which I didn't agree, agree in, Sean. And it would have kept the jails a lot uh, quieter, not less trouble. See when Michael Howard came into power, and he, I told you about the Alan Bunn story, and I told you about he came in crime and punishment, and it's going to be more thing for prisons more harder. Well, he brought in a thing called uh, drug testing, and uh, we, we all smoked hash. I smoked hash five six years, and hash stays in your body for three days, but heroin. No, 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 sorry. Hash stays in your body for 28 days and heroin and cocaine stays in your body for three days. So hash is like a form of smoking, marijuana. Yeah, like yeah, that's like marijuana. Brick, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like a brick. There was none of the grass of that at the time mm. in the 90s or that. So that's the, so a lot of people and a lot of well-respected people and a lot of kind of a gangster people started getting on heroin. Switch to heroin. Because yeah, it was three days. Because... Because if you get pulled up with the the, the hash and that been in your system, they, they would take days off. You would take seven or fourteen days, and you could accumulate, you could accumulate months or a year or something after sentence. And that's why they've gone to spice now because it doesn't show at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is that true? Doesn't show in the piss test. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that that's oh is that was all spice? Is, is spice? That, is, yeah. So that doesn't show in a piss, show piss test. Right. So that this was a big and we. And I, I was gutted. I, I tried to stop smoking it, and then I had to smoke it because I had to go through all these. I'd done like the courses to try to get AFCA. Mm -hmm. I had to go and do courses like enhanced thinking skills, whereas thing where you're doing you know, these subjects in the roles, you're playing role playing, and, and it was. And it was teaching you sort of a for when you're getting released, how about money and how to look after sale and and there was another couple of courses, but there was one course in Full Sutton, which I didn't agree with. And in Full Sutton there was a sex offenders uh, unit there. Mm. And uh, and we says, Right, we'll do this course, but better not be any sex offenders. So we were in the course for about three days and then somebody says as a sex offender sitting among, amongst you for one of the wings so we says it was two lassies that was running the course and uh, it was about three or four years and we says look we says as a sex offender we don't know who he is I says but we'll, we'll not be back and oh she turned around and says she says uh, and what about it and we says well we, we get told we're, we're principal officer and we're SOF officer for the wing that no, no, it'll just be thing me the other wings will not be sex offenders. And she turned around and she says to me, She says, You're just as bad. 
And I says, and how do you make that out? She says, well, you, you've premeditated your crime, blah, 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 blah. And she was sticking up for them. She says, uh, they, 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 they've no planned that. And, and I thought, that's fucking disgusting. It was, and I, and I says to this woman, I says, because there was a lot of bad people in, right? A lot of bad sex offenders, kidnapping childs and all that. And, and uh, I says, how would you like it if things made something to you? Like, no, that's nothing to do with it and all that. But there was a place in England and I get threatened to get sent to it, and it's called Wakefield. But there's a nickname for it, it's called uh, Monster Mansions. And the place is full of... There's some things you couldn't even talk in this programme that they've done to kids. But there was a guy up there, I'll give you an idea, there was a guy up there called Black, and he, he just died. He should have died fucking earlier, fucking a bad death. He he kidnapped three young girls. He was a, a van delivery driver, and he kidnapped three young girls and done one in Scotland, Edinburgh, and England, and, and, and he killed them, sexually abused them. And uh, then they found out He'd done somebody in England, a young girl in uh, Northern Ireland, and he got took her there. But the reason he got caught, he was in Scotland, and he threw this young girl up, taped her up, threw her in the back of the van. And some vigilant neighbour had uh, spotted him, and he got caught at the borders. But th th this, this, but this, this is just a a sample of the type of prisoner in this monster mansions. Know what I mean? Did you come across the Moors murderers? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come across Myra Hindley or, or thing, the other one, but I was in Durham at a young age and uh, there was, well, I was in Risley Grizzly, there was a place and there, there was a women's bit in it and uh, Myra Hindley was in a, a women's, the women's bit and we used to shout her at night but I never saw her. And we used to shout her and she'd get abuse and all that. And just, just for the American views, you want to explain what Myra Hindley did? Yes, yeah, Myra Hindley and uh, Ian Brady. I think there's been there've been two of the worst uh, sex offenders and and murderers in British history. The the two of them were going out and they were kidnapping young girls and young boys, and they were taking them back to the house and they were torturing them, sexually abusing them. And it was the case, if I remember rightly, the case was so bad. And when we, when they eventually went to court, they they'd actually played recordings. They taped some of the they taped torture, some of the yes, yeah. yes, Sean. They taped them, and it was and the, the young people and they were buried. A lot of them were buried. Was it Saddleworth Moor or I think so. something like that? And but Ian Brady, I think he's died. He dead as well. But Myra Hindley. The two of them are bad, bad bastards. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. It's... Up there with, well, Rose and Fred West. The BBC yeah, I... just recently tried to do a documentary about them. And I believe it's been postponed for legal reasons. Right. Ah, I saw that. I saw that. Did notice. you hear anything about them? Uh, I saw that. I, I was in jail when uh, me, when Fred West hung himself and all that. And when he, you was there when he hung himself in that? In no, that? I was. I, I was in. I was in England. Okay. And and Fingme, I think I think he done it on remand. He yeah. he wasn't even nine months into remand and he just hung himself. But yeah, that was in uh, Cromwell Street, wasn't it? And, yeah. Uh, Fingme. And they, they they were the they, they were the same. They two rose and 
Fred West were going about in the car, and she would she would stop the car and she'd say to a lone female, "Do you want a lift?" And they'd take them back to the house, thinking they'd a dungeon down there. And, and I and think stuff. they've done about twenty or thirty people. Well, they did their own daughter, didn't they? And they, they would joke at the family well. meal. The yeah. kids would say, "Well, so and so." And they joke that she's buried under there and that's going to happen to you. Yeah, I know. If yeah. you say anything. Yeah, I know. No, it yeah. was bad. Really no, bad. There was a lot of bad people. There was a lot of bad He was um, prostituting his wife out to the police. That's right. And one of the reasons they think he got away with it for so long was he was giving information to the police. He had a relationship <laughs> with her and prostituting his wife out and he was snitching out drug dealers. Oh, see the strange thing or not? Did you know he had an ice cream van in Scotland? Oh, did they? Ice Red West and the... the, the they're saying the DNA up there. So there. But no, there was a lot of bad sex offenders in the, the jails, to tell you the truth. The jails are busting at the point with sex offenders. Yeah. So there. And I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how prison officers can wake, uh, thing me, wake them up in the morning and say hi. And it's, it's bad like that. That, that young girl and I was, it's Sarah Payne's daughter. She, she went missing. And uh, I think she 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 brought a law, Sarah's law or something. Yeah. And uh, her husband, see, unfortunately, he couldn't see, and he, he died with drink and all that. And uh, she was abducted as well. She was only five or something. Mm. And uh, there's there's been a few bad a few a few a few bad ones in England. Yeah, that Lucy girl. That that, that he's in going to court now, isn't he? He was in his twenties. He was like a. Homeless tattoo artist or something. There's there, yeah. there's some there's some cases in England where you, you couldn't you couldn't even read about it. It's so horrific. I, I've been told. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, so as so what what would you say the hardest part about prison was for you? That right, you're going to find this a bit strange, right? Remember, I told you I says uh, the first five years. Yeah, was. Uh, was me struggling trying to adopt it. Well, that, this is this is one of the hardest parts, and this should have been the easiest. I get moved up to Shorts for my last year, and Shorts is it's it it HMP Shorts. It's in Scotland. It's just outside of Glasgow, and I get moved up there for my last year, and uh, I got parole the second time, and uh, the night before I get out, I was walking up and doing my cell, and I says, I don't want to get. Out. Because I went, what am I going to do? I've been looked after for 10 years. I've had all my foods. I've no need to worry about a mortgage or, or money. I says, and I'm 40 years of age now. I've been in 10 and a half years. I don't want to get, in, get into crime. But for me personally, I was never showed any rehabilitation. And that's what prison's all about. And they wouldn't get away with it in this day and age. And uh, this was 2000, 2001 I was getting released. Prisoners nowadays, if they're doing a 15-year sentence, they'll do five years and they'll go to an open prison and they'll get to work with the community and all that. So I never got that, so I never knew anything else. So I was, that, that night, and I, and I did find it strange because I was always saying for years, oh, I can't wait to go, can't wait, time's dragging. That then it came to that. that Didi, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want it out. But another, another bad bit was uh, I get accused. Remember, I told you earlier on in the story, 
I says, uh, my missus Sheila, she says, uh, don't slash a prison offer, I'll wait for you for 10 years. Well, I was drinking with the IRA one night, I was in full satin, it was just after the five years mark, and uh, I went on the, the jail phone, and I was, I was hitting it and all that, and I went back, and she says, what's wrong? I went, I don't know, I was just arguing. So I woke up in the morning, and I, and I went to myself, uh, what, what did she say to me, that phone? <laughs> so I phoned her up you could use the jail phone I was in the cleaners so you could use it in the morning I went my wee card and I phoned her and she says what are you doing phoning and I says what are you on about she says did I not make it plain last night that we're over and I went what <laughs> so to, to, to be truthful I, I was hurted and uh, cause see, see when you're in prison with my perception anyway Sheila, there's only she's coming up to visit me, and there's only one person in your life. And at that time, Sean, I was I was a bit gutted, and I used to say to my pals, they were like social workers, thing me coming in, and I'm going, oh, Sheila's left and all that. And I used to say, if Cindy Crawford came through that door, I would tell her to fuck off. Only one Sheila. But it took me about six months to go over that. But something else happened, and it nearly it nearly. Uh, it nearly, it nearly messed my parole up. When I went up to Scotland after the nine-year mark, I'd, I'd written my second parole interview and I was only in Shots Prison a matter of... I went there January 2001. Two months. Five weeks, two months. I came back. I was playing badminton. but this time, I was fucking cracking at badminton. <laughs> when I first went in, I was like that, trying to put it over the net. Hmm. But after five or six years, there was a Scottish international run. Except from the boy Mickey for Preston used to beat me. But uh, anyway, I've come back for playing badminton. I'd done about 10 years. And the way it would have worked to it, I'd have been out in four or five months if I was getting this pro. There's a good chance I was getting that. So two wee guys ran out for Govan. I was sweating and all that. And they went, by the way, you're in the, the front of the daily record. And to explain the daily records, was the main Scottish paper up there and I was in the front of it and it says something like 50 this guy my my, my ex had took up with this millionaire and uh, it says I'd put a 50,000 hit on him for my prison cell and uh, and it says says run away there's a big he, he was he was worth he was worth about uh, six million or something, ten million, and it says ten million. Uh, then it's where was it? And there's a front, there's a front bit here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Ian, Ian's brought uh, there's a mountain of paperwork uh, and a, scrapbooks of all of his newspaper uh, there's articles. A, there's a thing I think it's, I think it's in the the other one. This was me supposed to put a fifty thousand pound hat. And inside, there's a. Just that was a photo of me, and I remember that was me in uh, Lanzarote in 1989. Taking the gangster of the mall. And uh, the story was they, they were taking loads of cocaine at the time, and uh, the story was that when I moved up to Scotland, I think Sheila was saying, look, when Ian gets what he's going to do you in, but it was nothing to do with me. So the paper, the front of it was saying, the front of it was saying that this hat, 
said there's a fifty thousand pound thing they hit on it uh, on him and says I done it for myself. So my mother and sister come up to see me a few days later. He says, I don't think you sold £50,000. I says, I've not got 50 pence. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that caused me a lot of hassle. And that, that, that story came out on a Saturday. I think it was February or March 2001. And uh, as I say, I came back for the gym and that. But seeing the Monday when I went to work, I was walking up and down the workshop and uh, the governor came in and he went, Phew. he says, we saw that story a bit. I says, I, I don't know. He says, is that you up to your old games? I says, I've been in 10 years. I says, I can put in four or five months for you. I says, there's nothing to do with me. He went, Pfft. And I went, fuck it, you know. That, that was the first thing that had been in the paper in 10 years with this millionaire guy. So I found out later when I'd been released what it was all about. They were taking too much cocaine at the time and uh, I was at a party and two girls says to us listen I says do you know why this Pat Sweeney story thing came about I says no I says we're taking cocaine and all that and Sheila when you come up to Scotland says look when he comes up he knows all the IRA and London gangsters you're going to get done in so he ran to the paper and says I had a £50,000 hit on him so I did and I was like oh, fucking hell but uh, eventually got parole, so I did. And, what year uh, did you get parole? I got parole in 2001. I got out in November. I'd done 10 years, five months, five days and five minutes. <laughs> and uh, my mother was there waiting on us. I needed a big limo and all that, so they did. So after going through this prison experience, Ian, did you take it easy then when you got out? No, well, I decided when I, when I get out, I says to myself, well, I'm a failed bank robber. I says, I'm not going to try anything uh, anything too soon, too quick again. But because uh, I never had any re- rehabilitation and I only knew what best to do was robbing or whatever. So when I came out, after two days when I got out, I went to this nightclub in Glasgow, Victoria's, and uh, I became a permanent figure there. I was in there about nine months. And... Uh, I was taking loads of Ekkies. Ecstasy. Yeah, and just, I was only, I was 40 and I thought I was 30 years of age again. And uh, I used to keep everybody in after hours in this nightclub, Victoria's. People used to come up and say, do you own this place and all that? And I was like, oh, no, but it was as if I did own it. But uh, what happened was the guy had, I think he got sick of me. And they ended up selling it to a company in Newcastle called Vimac for six million. And uh, I went up to the door and the guy says, we know who you are, Ian, blah, 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 blah. There'll not be any more lock-ins or whatever. So after about a second week, uh, the bouncers asked us to leave and me and Gary just knocked fuck out about four of them. And uh, so a few months after that, my, the, the social worker I had at the time, now you see a social worker, you're on probation and all, you're out in licence and things. My social worker was a little bastard, so he was. He fucking ran my life. I was 40 years of age and he was 32. Mm-hmm. And uh, things, I had to report to him and things, I had to report to him if I wanted to move to a new house or anything else. I had to, every, 
everything was channeled through him. So I says to him one day, listen, I says, uh, I was only a few months. I says, uh, I've got a, a, a house I want you to see. I'm, I'm thinking of moving into it. So I told him the address in it. And uh, little did he know, it was a four-bedroom detached house. <laughs> and he's, he's come up to see this house and I'm going, he's not says nothing and I'm busy getting round the house and I'm going, what do you think of this? And it's got a double garage and barbecue. I says, but the best part about this is, for me, the big giant living room. I says, that's where the parties will be after Victoria's, after the Eckies. So once we'd done the tour of the house, I says to him, well, what did you think? No, that. he went, where are you going to get the money? I says, well, I had a house before I went to prison. I says, I've still got money. Friends have gave us money. And he went, nah, you're not having a better house than me. I looked at him and I went, did I hear him right? And he went, and he went, do you want to run down the road this time? And I went, no, I went, fuck all, run down the road. So he became a thorn in my side and my, my son had moved to Spain with Max and uh, asked to go to see him and when I was out about a year and I got permission, I went there. Then in, uh, that was 2002, November 2002, I'd been out exactly a year then. <clears throat> then in February 2003, the cops, I was away to a gym and the cops, uh, I was seeing some girl in Curtin Tillock at the time, the cops were up at her door, they were up at my brother Gary's door, they went to my mum's door and I was walking up a busy street in uh, the west end of Glasgow, Byers Road, I'd just been to Kelvin Hall gym. My brother phoned us and he says, by the way, he says, you're getting recalled back to prison. I says, how do you know that? He says, there's been coppers up here with guns and all that. And they've been to your girlfriends and my ma's. And uh, he says, look, uh, thing me, there's a police intelligence report that's been submitted. To, I was still governed by London by then. And uh, so I, I was on the run. Was was the only run. I just, I wasn't handing myself in. Then I went to see my lawyer and I decided after five days, right, I'm all going to go to a police station. I got up to Shots Prison where I was released for. And I went up and I chapped the door. And the guy was like, ah, he went, what do you want? He says, I thought you were on the run. I says, I'm not on the run. I says, uh, I want, he says, I'll get the governor on that for you. And uh, the governor came down. Her name, it was a, it was a woman governor. He shot saying her name was Audrey Park. And she says, there's... Are you know when they're running that? I says, no, I'm not in the run. I says, I've done nothing wrong. She says, it says in the paper that you you went to Spain. Uh, it was in front of this, this record, says I was away in Spain, I stuck my fingers up to the law and all that. Mm. And she says to me, you've got a lovely suntan. I says, it's for a sun, sunset beach. Uh, no sunset, I says, it's for a sunset, uh, sun beach shop in Glasgow. And... Uh, she went like that. She says, what, what do you want me to do? There's a bit in that weird thing me I handed myself in. She says, eh, what, what is it you want me to do? She says, because I'm not going to phone the police, which was good there. She could have just phoned the police and says, he's here. And uh, I says, I want you to take me back in. I says, I'm getting recalled and I get let out of here. And uh, she says to me, I can't do that. I have no paperwork. And I kind of begged her, I says, look, I says, go and just take me in and all. And 
She says, right. She says, if I take you in here, she says, don't be going your bell to get out of here. I says, no bother. So I was in my cell about an hour and I was already press the bell. She says, have I done the right thing? So the next morning she came up to see me with the thing there, an assistant governor and another prison officer. She says, oh, you've caused me a lot of hassle. I says, how? She says, see when, uh, she says, uh, see when you get locked out, I handed myself in about seven o'clock. She says, I get shouted back down at the gate again. A serious crime squad were there. They says, we know you've got Ian McDonald back in prison. They says, uh, you're holding him illegally. You better go and get him and get him out. She says, Ian's sleeping. <laughs> I thought, this is what? She says, I, I says, you were sleeping. She says, he's gone nowhere. I says, thanks, Audrey. I says, uh, see when I get out. I says, I'll take you out for a night out. And she went, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, she says, right, she says, your paperwork should be faxed through this morning. And she left me up in this... Uh, NIC uh, it was just an induction unit play something shots so I was in for uh, kept me in for 14 months someday for the parole board I could have been in for another five years someday for the parole board came up for England and they interviewed me and the guy says I don't even know why you're in he says this is pure crap the intelligence report says that I met someday there were six different things says that I'd met somebody in Socky Hill Street and uh, discussed about getting somebody done in it was killed mm. and uh, a lot of crap my lawyers came up the following week and they said see the guy that they're mentioning they're saying the guy's staying seven years in Kilmarnock prison and uh, so he must have community cell bars and early on come up and met me and went back in so that was dismissed. But see, when I told you, I, me and Gary in the Victoria's nightclub, we, we, we battered the four bouncers. I, get, I went to court while I was in uh, the recall. I was only a month or two. And uh, they dropped, they wouldn't drop all the charges against me. They dropped the assaults against me. Mm. And uh, Gary pled guilty to two assaults, got a £500 fine. And I got a... 30 days imprisonment and the judge says to me you should know better so automatically that triggered my thing my licence recall I went back to Shorts and uh, I got a letter we'd done representations me and a, a woman lawyer Vicky King for London I was in touch with her we'd done representations for to try and get back out after six months and they says to us look the police intelligence report that says we can't rely on that because uh, this guy was in jail through the says I'd met. They says, but you have breached your your license conditions with uh, pleading guilty to a breach of the peace in this nightclub. So it says license revoked. So I went up in another six or seven months. I was in 14 months. So I got out in April Fool's Day, 2004, and I had summed up my life, and I says to myself, right, okay then, you've done ten and a half years for a field bank robbery, you've been put back in for a year for enjoying yourself, uh, so I'm coming out April Fool's Day, and I'm no fooling about. So get back into serious crime, Sean. Oh. For, uh, no, I just I says, fuck it. I get back into serious crime, 
and uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted all the, the good things in life, not anyway. Yeah. But I was taking a big chance because I could have got another 15, 16 years. So I get back into serious crime and I was successful for five years. Mm. And I went all around the world. I went around uh, Thailand, uh, St. Lucia. Got a girlfriend, I bought her a penthouse flat. I bought myself a big flat. Uh, I had a car I was going about. I was a wee bit of a show off then when I got money. Had a car and I had a blink, a blink registration. That's my nickname, and I was going about. And when I first put this registration number on, people were phoning me up and going, "By the way, people in Glasgow are saying you've got blink on your thing with car." And I says, "That's right." They went, "Did you make it up?" And I says, "Don't be silly." I says, "I bought it." I had this, uh, I had this, this car, this car registration number for about a year. Then I just put it on when I had a bit of trouble in it. So after five in uh, all the was, headlines are like blink, <laughs> blink and he's gone. <laughs> Gangster jets, the Costa del Sol. Think me to David Beckham, man. I swear. After uh, after five and a half year, I think I'd learnt these places you're in the jails are university universities really a crime so you try and learn how not to get caught and uh, so I had about a five and a half year run in, in organised crime and uh, I became in a gangland war in Glasgow upset these people told them my new kids in the block they thought I was an old guy when I came out and this is right so I'd done something and a year later, people kept saying to me, the comeback's coming, the comeback's coming. And I was getting these letters for the police, Osmonds, uh, threatening to leave things. So in May 2009, and Danny Dyer, they were going to do a programme on me and it was called Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men. So... There was a Cameron man up and another guy up. They were up for a couple of days and they were start filming me. And Danny Dyer was to come up to my flat up at the Hogan Field Lock. It was a penthouse flat and everybody knew about it. And the whole of Glasgow had to come up to the flat. They says, when Danny Dyer comes up, can we come up? Because he goes and stays with people in this programme. Mm. And uh, he was going to stay with me for two days. He wouldn't have no let you sell in for. <laughs> so before he came up Friday it was Friday the 9th of May 2009 there was a bomb found under my car and I, I knew nothing about it a neighbour had just come back from Las Vegas the woman went down the stair in my state and she jet lagged and she did the light out and she was she was watching this car park and a car drew up, two guys came out with hoods on. But she couldn't see my car, there was a van blocking it. So she phoned the police and she says, I think she didn't think anything of a bomb nature, anything sinister like that. She just thought that somebody was trying to steal a car. So the police came about five in the morning mm. and uh, they checked, no, we can't see nothing. And uh, she still wasn't convinced and her man went out in the morning, Adam, 
and uh, he he went and looked under my car and he's rang my bell, and I wouldn't answer. It. I thought it was the police. The police were hounding me by this time, and uh, and he's shouting at me and it's me. And I looked to it and he says, "Look, let me in." And he came up. He says, "There's something under your car." Just a couple of months before it, there was a tracking device put under one of my pal's cars, my guy Star Keenan, and he found it. So they were kind of a, the police were right on it at a time. And so were these other gangsters. So I was in a war with uh, Strathclyde Police and Glasgow Gangsters. And what happened was after the bomb and the Friday, Danny Ryan, all that, they, they, said, they just went like that. They says, look, we're, finish, we're finishing this film. It says it's becoming too heavy. Too crazy. It's too, too crazy, but it's, it's about deadliest men. They says, Ian, this was about your uh, past life, not no, about your, your, your present life. And I, and I says to the, I says to this young director guy, I says, I says, keep the cameras rolling. I says, mate, I says, I'm going to war here. I says, you don't uh, get blown up. <laughs> I says, I, I says, make yourself a name. And he went, no. So I says, dirty shite bags, Danny Diana. So they fucked off. So the Tuesday, the the cops, the thing, the, the bomb squad and all that came up. They evacuated four, 14 houses for about 16 hours. And this device was made safe. I get told that if it went off, it'd have took half the building off. So you're saying so, Danny dies a shit house. Yeah, she's a dirty shite bag. Yeah, I says dirty shite bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> Send money, please. So, uh, what happened then in the Tuesday? I would have done the same, Danny. <laughs> so, well, I says, the Tuesday, I was uh, walking my dog around the park. There was a park near me, and uh, my mother was drew back for Benedon. I says, I'll tell you, I walked in and see my mother. My mother, the police still had my car, the forensics. So my mum was only five minutes from the corner. And uh, I saw this car kind of following me. And I went, something's not right here. It's a bit strange. But I, I just, I never gave it a thought. And I went, by Arthur Thompson's house, uh, who I've mentioned before, the Godfather of Glasgow. Godfather of Glasgow. I was yeah. only a minute past his house. And uh, I just turned a corner and I felt, fuck you. And I got up with a knife and I went flying. And the next minute there was three guys going, come on. And I'm stunned going, who the fuck are they three? And they says, come on, you're supposed to be a gangster in uh, Glasgow. And they psychologically defeated me. And uh, I was I was walking backwards. And they didn't know if I had anything on me. I never had anything. Because I thought the police were still watching because of this bombing up. And... Uh, Anyway, they had a fight with him. I could have ran. My mother said it was only a minute away. I've never ran away in my life. And uh, they got me down, and they got me down in this church gate, and one of them was lying on my legs, and they were trying to cut my throat, and managed to, they got this scar here. And uh, I walked through the corner, and I, I, I was laughing. I, no, honest, I was laughing. I says, fucking idiots. I says, if it was me, I says, I just fucking came from the back and done them. So I says I amateurs so there was kids playing in the street and that and uh, they came on and gave us a towel half it, it looks no bad now but half of my face was hanging off it was quite bad and uh, I went to hospital and I was in hospital for the Tuesday to the Thursday plastic surgery caught my card back 
And I says, right, I'm going to fucking war here. And uh, I was trying to find out who was behind this. And then the Friday, me and my pal were up in my flat and six CID came up. And uh, I thought they were up to see about the bomb or me being slashed. And they says, Ian, we're up to arrest you. And I says, you're up to arrest me? I says, what for? They says, we'll tell you down to the station. I says, wait a minute, I thought I was a victim here. But I thought they'd, they'd, they'd maybe found something that I'd been saying, that a conspiracy to murder or something to get these people back. But when we got down to the police station, they were like, oh, it's for a breach of the peace. I says, I breached the piece and they wanted me, me to do a, 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 a taped interview comment. I says, so you, so what's the breach of the piece? And it was for a nightclub for three weeks before where I was shouting outside and all that. And uh, they, they'd went to the nightclub and they got the manager and uh, some of the bouncers. They were put up to it, by the way, with some of my rivals to say this to get me off the streets. So the bombing was the Friday, slashed the Tuesday, got out of the hospital on the Thursday, arrested on the Friday. So I thought that was the end of my troubles. And the, Saturday, the, the, the Sunday morning, four CID come up and they'd run up to see me, how my health was, uh, to take me to church. They says to me, Listening, your petrol bomb, uh, your car just got petrol bombed last night. And I says, Where the fuck were you? And they just went, They went, Listen, we says, We don't want a gang war starting. And I went, It's fucking already started. They went, What? I says, It's fucking already started. I says, I'm no banking into these people. And uh, I went to court on the Monday and they had me on this petition. It was a higher kind of a usually a breach of the peace a three month, six month, a fine or something. So they had me on this indictment thing, what they call it in Scotland. So my lawyer says, this is a joke. So when we got into court, the prosecutor was a young woman and uh, she started shouting, this man's got a terrible record, he's done it in the old Bailey, he's done for a gun. Then she made a blunder and she went, he's also involved in a gangland war just now. And the shirt, my lawyer's ready to jump up and the sheriff just went, I'll talk to you later. She shouldn't have said that. Know what I mean? And uh, then my lawyer stood up and says, yes, he's got a terrible record, blah, 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 blah. But she's just went and says, this man's involved in the gangland war. Where's she getting this for? Newspapers. And, uh, and the judge went, not a problem, bail. So I got in bail and I went back up to my flat, up the penthouse flat. And the neighbours had all saw me get arrested. They went, did you get arrested with a gun or something? I says, no, I says, uh, I says, they've done me with a breach of the peace for three weeks ago. And uh, so, so that, that was me. And no, that, no long after that, everything just crumbled. Every, everything I was up to, I had, I had this thought, the police were right on me and I knew I was going to get another 15 year. Just to verify all this, you got the news headlines, plot to blow up. Gangster blink, just don't blow up the motor. <laughs> this is um, that's a way back. Yeah. yeah, back in two thousand and nine. Yeah. Wow. Nice. So, uh, run about that time, two thousand and nine, May June, and the cop. I was still up to everything, but the coppers were right on me in Glasgow, 
and I just decided to wind down my criminal activities. And uh, I ended up losing the flats and all that. And I told Sean earlier, I says to I moved back into my mother's and I says to myself, what am I going to do? And I went, why don't I write a book? But I never had a clue how to write a book. And I says to myself, right, my mother went to her, her beds at uh, nine o'clock after the soaps. And I'd be in the living room and I would A4 paper and all the wee yellow stick, you know, it's this is right. I've read loads of books in prison. I was in Boston when I was 16. I think Papillon was the first book I'd read. Papillon, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I said, right, I'll start from the beginning. And uh, I wasn't very good on computers or that at the time. So I had A4 paper and my back used to be killing me. I'd sit there sometimes to two or three in the morning, maybe four. And I would write down, right, I was born here. And because I'd been in prison for 14 and a half hours school, then Boston and we three months and six months and 18 months. So I knew the kind of a dates where I was running about that time. So I started writing. So say I wrote 2,000 words one night. My boy Darrow, he was, a, he was doing a, a college course in media studies. And he would come up and uh, the 2,000 words I drew, we'd get into the room, he'd bring his wee laptop up and 3,000 words. And before you know it, we're doing chapters. And uh, before you know it, we're doing 180,000 words. I didn't know what that was. right? I, I, I just didn't have a clue. And the reason I was being able to do this is because uh, I was staying in, I wasn't going out. I used to have a flat, see, before I moved to the penthouse flat in uh, Huggingfield Lock, I had a trendy flat in the West End across the art galleries and I uh, had that much money. And people used to come up and I used to say, sit down, have a wine and a line and shut up. I was spending five grand a week on cocaine. And uh, in the back bedroom was like Haddles. Haddles is like a 101 out of license. So I had great parties up there for 18 months. And uh, so anyway, the book, I was trying to get it published myself. I was I was writing to different uh, places, big companies, John Blake and different places. And uh, they weren't taking me on. So there was a guy, David Leslie. For, he worked for the News of the World for 40 years. So he'd been doing stories. I mean, I knew him well. And I had a word with him and I says, David, and he says, look, and he went, and he had a look at the stuff. And he went, for Christ's sake, he says, 189,000 words. He says, uh, he says, do you know what a book is? A book compri comprises of. And I says, no, I says, uh, he says, a book's 80,000, 100,000 words. I says, oh, well, okay then. I says, I want to do three books, <laughs> a trilogy. And he went, no, he says, look, if I can get you a deal with mainstream, he'd a good he'd brought about six books out before David. And he says to me, if I can get a book out, uh, it's just going to be the one book. And I says to him, Okay then, not 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 a problem. And uh so that that's what happened. Uh David says, You've more or less wrote the book yourself. He says, uh just go, he'd come picked me up at his house once a week and uh, I'd talk into tapes and before you know it, it was 
it was done. But see, while I was on that subject, just before the book came out, about a year or two before the book came out, 2010, 2011, I get the opportunity to go down and see Ronnie Biggs, the great train robber. Yeah. And uh, the the way that came about, David and uh, another guy, Brian Anderson, who's a brilliant photographer, by the way, he's got a thing up in Glasgow, I think it's a something, private eyes or something. So it was in the paper that I'd been invited in, but, but Brian, the photographer, had connections. With, he was going to put down this Faces of the Underworld with Bernard Mahoney. And uh, and while he was meeting everybody, he'd met Ronnie Biggs' son, and Ronnie Biggs only came back home to get treatment and all that, and he was in a care home in Barnet. And uh, and he says, look, he says, I can arrange for a meeting. And David says, a big good story, you could didn't meet him. So David Leslie came up with Brian Anderson and we drove down to London, and uh, we were granted an interview with him. And I was talking to him and thing me, David says to me, he says, ask him, is he getting anything to do with the great train robbery? Right? And I said, and he, he couldn't talk at the time, uh, Ronnie Biggs. He was, he was really bad at the time. And uh, I know a lot of people probably say, oh, you met him when he's an old man, but I still met Ronnie Biggs, you know what I mean? The Americans, a lot of them probably don't know who Ronnie Biggs is. You want to just yeah. give a little explanation? Uh, R- Ronnie Biggs, he was part of a, a gang who robbed a Glasgow team. Houston London train, uh, two million pounds. I used banknotes, and uh, they were given. They were given. They were given the biggest sentences at that time, thirty years and stuff like that. So when I mentioned Mick Kelly, then made the bank robbers thirty one years. Did someone die on the? On the- uh, the train robber was coshed that was the only bad thing about it the train robber was coshed and he died about six years later and they blamed it on that oh, I see. but Ronnie Biggs became he, he, he wasn't one of the main men by the way but he got put in the robbery but he became the, the most famous or infamous one of them all because when he was in the was it Wormwood Scrubs or was it there's other prisons and there's Wormwood Scrubs Brixton and that he escaped from he escaped he escaped from a prison yeah. and he went right and he was on the run and he went to Australia and then he went to Brazil and uh, he was on the run for about 30 years and people were going over to Brazil and he was making money doing tours and by marrying by marrying a Brazilian woman yeah, they couldn't extradite him that's right he married he married a he married a Brazilian woman and what happened is a team fair here came here and I thought this was bad news. They came here and they kidnapped Ronnie Biggs, this guy John Muller and that, and they took him to Barbados and he was held in Barbados for about six weeks and it came out that his wife, well, no, his wife, that girl he was seeing for Brazil, she came forward and says, look, I'm I'm having a baby. So the Brazilian authorities went, no extradition. Wow. Because he was ready to go. If it wasn't for this thing, we even the we, Sex Pistols been, went out there, didn't they? Aye, ah, he did a song. He, yeah. a song yeah, he became really, really famous. So he did, and uh, and uh, they were a notorious gang. So I, so I had the pleasure of meeting them. So I did, and it was off down to Brian, really. And uh, so, so before I forget, 
David Leslie turned about and says to me, ask him, did he have anything to do with the Great Train robbery? And you know what he says? He, was, he, was, he couldn't talk about that about this time. And he had a wee marker board. And he went, I'm not a grass. <laughs> <laughs> and for the American audience, grass is no grass weeds, grass is snitch. And uh, that was the kind of, a, we thought that was funny. So... And how how are you surviving these days, Ian? With, with, I'm um, I'm just I'm just going about my life uh, normal. Just I'm on benefits and all that. Yeah, I'm not into crime at all. I wouldn't even get into a garage and steal a Mars bar now. And uh, you're not getting millions of dollars from your book. <laughs> no, I know you're for years, right? And I'm sure, <laughs> but uh, no, I'd, I think it's the book we mainstream. David, David, we went sixty forty, and. Uh, a lot of people think that I've made fortunes with this book. I've not. And the reason I've done the book was it wasn't for monetary purposes. Yeah. It was just to it was just to get my story out. Yeah. And uh, the cowards that attacked me as well. I never named anybody or anything like that in the book. But I still get royals today and the, and I says to Sean uh, yesterday he says he started saying I get seventy pound the book every six months. Uh, Hundred dollars every six months. Uh, yeah. so, so the book went out of production. It, it messed me up. So it did. The book it was a mainstream publishing, and after uh, this is coming in two thousand twelve, and about two thousand and fourteen, fifteen that they they just they just chucked it. But you can still get this book the new on Kindle. And yeah. It's £4 odds. Yeah. What? What? But, People out there watching this are thinking, how how can they support you? And if if you if they buy this book, you're only he's only going to make a few, uh, a few pence. Much, yeah. um, but what what I'm thinking is, we could perhaps help you get a new edition of this book out. Right. You said you wrote almost two hundred thousand yeah, words, a, a yeah, long yeah, one. Still got a lot. Of and maybe go. even an audio version, yeah, Kindle, and a new paperback. And um, we could we could figure something out where you get a lot more royalties than you've been making. Mm-hmm. Is there any is there any other ways uh, people could support you or have you got any final message that you'd like to say to the people watching this on YouTube just just final message I'm a man of peace now and just I'm, I'm actually I've got a council house I've come right away down if you think me when I used to have money and people in Glasgow still give it, still think that I've got money and all that but I, I've no I'm no materialistic anymore and all that and uh, and I'm quite I'm quite happy I'm pretty happy still to be alive and I just met a young girl at uh, 32 years of age and can I finish this story after when I met her I, she was working in a sunbed shop and uh, I was getting in when I didn't even think she liked me or that and so anyway got a first date with her and on the first date we went to three cocktail bars in Glasgow and we came at the last bar it was called the Anchorling at George Square the next minute my hands were up well it was a good takedown by the way and they says uh, well, I'm pleased I'm pleased have you got a gun on you I says hi stood <laughs> my trees and be firing bullets be firing blanks uh, thing after this and uh, the, this wee couple walked to her and I thought they were for London a wee London tourist couple or something and uh, they says we, this guy went I'm Gary I'm I'm dessert. Detective Sergeant Gary, whatever his name for the anti-organised crime unit, he says we've been told you've got a gun. Blah 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 blah. I says I'm not getting any gun. And in the car, he says, look, we're going to take you up to your house to search it. And I went, do you know, take me to the police station. He says, no, I've had the want for a few days, so they must have been following me. And uh, 
and in the car it was a comedy errors. They took me into this car and the other arm police were behind us and all that. And then it was May weekend. It was just it was just this year. And uh and the last year I was with it was the first time I was out there and, and she shouting, Don't shout in, don't shout. I says, Christ, oh they bring me cocktails and I I'd had that night. Zooming right out me and became a uh, thing me sober, and because uh, I knew it was a serious thing, the thing that, that they were going to arrest me for, and I was going. So they says in the car, and they says, "You've got a gun, you've got a plastic gun." I says, "I've no gun." I says, "Where did this come from?" They says, "Oh, I'll be explained up in your flat." I says, "Where have you got a warrant? We'll show you." It was an intelligence-led operation. So I says to this uh, guy Gary in the back. I says, listen, I says, I may as well be straightforward with you. I says, I've got a bit of cocaine in my pocket here. And he says, not interested. And uh, I says, I says, so if there's nothing found in the flat, I won't be kept in for the weekend. He went, nah. So I says, I says, uh, I says, I says, when the two of first came over, I says, I thought he's the, the tourist couple. And uh, the woman in the front says, I want to stick your boot in him. And, and he went, he one of you have not got a girlfriend and the guy who was driving it says come on now children tricking cool down this is serious so there's good cops and bad cops everywhere and bad prison officers and good prison officers everywhere and uh, and these seem to be no bad cops so we were driving up to the car they even, driving up the house they even drove by and I had to say reverse back so we went up to the house and they showed me the warrant and he says right this is for this is Sheriff Finlay, second of May, solely for firearms. He says, you know, we're going to switch the camera on, just keep your mouth shut. And that's it. And I says before it, I says, there's another thing. And they, they took the cocaine out of my pocket and they, they put it on the table. And he says, what's what, what, that? I says, a gram. And one of the young officers went, oh, come on, here's about two or three gram. And I says, oh, you would probably know you're snorting it yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'd say to him, look, before you put the camera on, I says, I think I've got a wee £10 bit of hash in the back bedroom. And that's it. He says, well, look, don't you mention it. And halfway through it, I, I became drunk again. I shouted, what about the £10 bit of hash that's in the bedside cabinet? And you went, shh. So anyway, they done me a turn. They says, Ian, we're not going to wreck your house and that. And they were true to their word. Christ, I, I, I get five bags of, clenny bags, I call them black bags, and, Scotland, uh, excess stuff, stuff. They've done me a favour. I threw them out, and uh, so they came in and they went, "Ian McDonald, we're going to report you, Procurator Fisco, uh, what looks like cannabis and cocaine." They switched your camera off and they went, "Bye." And I went, "Bye." Christ, what's going on here? So they were only in the flat just over an hour, and I phoned the first day up from my kitchen. And I says to her, "I says, by the way, I says, uh, I says." That's me, thing, me. And they went, she says, are you phoning for the police station with one of the phones you can sneak into? And I went, no, I says, I'm in my kitchen. And she's jumped down. So to this day, I'm still there. And her name's Ashley Lorinsky. And she comes through Bermulloch. And uh, she's a great lassie, so she is. And thing, me, just, we just found out a couple of months ago she's pregnant. Wow, congratulations, And uh, so I just got book Glasgow. I walk about <clears> all the place and just... That's it. What a happy note to end this on then. You know, the, the love of a good woman and you're going to have a kid. Yeah. So out there in YouTube land, I haven't even begun 
with Ian's early prison <laughs> stories before and his crime stories before the bank robbery. So if you guys would like to see Ian on the channel again, coming back and doing all these early years, there's loads of stuff um, yet to go over. Please put that in the comments section. If you've got any other podcast guests you'd like to suggest to come on that's got prison or crime experiences, I would appreciate that. You know, looking to get a lot more podcasts out this year now. Um, and we appreciate all of your love and support. And thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank you. Yep, we're coming on. Cheers. Yeah. Yep.